No network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And tonight on the program, no borders, because we're traveling down to Mexico City to welcome back my buddy. Uh, He's an astute observer of the esoteric and one of the more perceptive pundits in the world of the paranormal. That's kind of how I like to describe him. And I had the chance to—I've had the chance to hang out with him now a couple times at uh, a couple of these paramania gatherings, Um, and and. He has a very calming presence, I find. It's very, very, very nice to be around. Someone who has sort of a there's, a, there's a, there's a wisdom coming from him that you can sense in person. It's palpable. And uh, I, I, I've really, I've really grown to love the guy over the last few years as we've become closer friends. And uh, I knew I had to get him on here for season 10 because, as I said, uh, the last few guests, if there's a theme emerging here of the last few episodes, it's sort of like, these are friends of mine who I think are doing outstanding work, uh, like Josh Cutchin and Aaron Goulias and our tonight's guest, Red Pill Junkie. Um, so follow these folks, because, uh, you know, I don't know what the hell I'll be doing after we wrap up Season 10. So here's some other people to check out and, and follow and learn from, and, and who I give the stamp of approval to. And Red Pill Junkie is definitely one of those guys. Uh, he writes for the Daily Grail. He writes for Mysterious Universe. Uh, he was part of the uh, Robbie Graham Collaborative that came out in May. And he he writes all over the place. He appears on a whole bunch of podcasts. And as I said, I had the chance to meet him uh, a couple times over the last few years since we had him on the show. And I, I've just been blown away by by everything about him. So I think he's a great guy. So welcome back to the show, Red Pill. And uh, thanks for being a part of the final season here, man. Well, that soothingness comes from the Spanish fly that I pour on people's drinks, you know. Oh, wait. Are we alive yet? Damn. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, man, it's, man. Great, it's great to be back to Vinal of America. Well, it's great to have you, man. As I said, uh, yeah, I think uh, you're one of those. I mean, you've been around for a few years now, so you're not really like an emerging voice. Uh, but but you're sort of like what I find interesting in a sense is um, now you have the website Absurd by Design, but that you don't necessarily sort of have a hub. You kind of you kind of float around. You're kind of like a like a wandering gypsy of the paranormal <laughs> at different sites and stuff. Yeah, I'm just a carny. You know, going from town to town <laughs> to trying to make a living that is perfect. Look, uh, yeah, uh, my website, and uh, thanks for mentioning it. Of course. Uh, Absurd by Design. Yeah, it's, it came out uh, not as a, uh, as a necessity to, to have a place to speak my mind because that was already covered 
uh, with the Daily Grail, which is, you know, I think, my, my main uh, hub. Yeah. You know, it is even though it's not owned by me, it's owned by by Greg Taylor, my friend and, and mentor. You know, the guy who like opened opened the doors for me for this uh, to this wacky wacky world of the, of the Fortean blogosphere. You know, and from there, it, it, it happened very organically. It happens always very organically, doesn't it? You you start to connect with people in this you know web in this. Uh, well, social networks, I guess, is the way to call it. You know, from there, I met you. I met Greg Bishop. I also connected with the guys from Mysterious Universe, who also asked me to to become one of their contributors. So I also was a contributor to Scotty Roberts' uh, blog. That you know, it's not around anymore. The one that he uh, like launched back in the days of the Paradigm Symposium. And intrepid blog, the intrepid blog was, and, and also contributed with with uh, Robbie, Robbie Graham before he got his first book out, you know, Silver Screen Saucers. Before that, he had this blog uh, in which in which he invited uh, people to 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 write guest articles and also you know try to to uh, contribute there. And you know it, it, it was wonderful. I, I didn't feel the need to to you know have another like outlet. Yeah. And, and but absorbed by design, I guess uh, in the end, I guess you do need to have your own personal website, like uh, a main hub of activity. You know, a place that'll say, okay, you know, here I'm I'm the master and commander of, <laughs> of this of this own vessel. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it's more work than it's than, than it's worth. So you might have you might have cracked the code in a way, you know, because mm-hmm, then exactly. you start pressuring yourself. You know, it's like, well, this is this is my thing, so I gotta <laughs> I gotta do something that's gonna freak people out or whatever, or blow their fucking minds. And it's like, Jesus, I'm killing myself here. <laughs> so, um, now one thing I and I'm sure you probably have been on some shows and talked about this, but I haven't heard a. Uh, heard what you had to say about this, but I guess uh, this is not the DeLong thing. I actually want to know, what what was it like? And is everything okay, relatively? Let us know. What's going on with that the earthquake? It's amazing, in a way, um, that there was this huge earthquake in Mexico City, and now it's like, it, you know, there was just so many disasters that people, like, forget almost. It's kind of scary, mm-hmm. in a way. It's like, the people in Puerto Rico are in really rough shape, and California half burned to the ground or whatever, and it's like, People forget there was this huge, devastating earthquake in Mexico City. So I guess what was that like being there, and, and sort of what's the scene like now? Are things starting to come back together again? It's an interesting question, and yeah, because it's almost, uh, well, more than a month after the September 19th quit happened. And I was doing some work. I was uh, in front of my my computer when I felt... Uh, uh, First, uh, the the tremor, and you know, being a citizen of Mexico, you you are used to earthquakes all of your life. You know, you you felt a lot of, of all of your life. In fact, the previous earthquake that hit us this year that happened in August, um, I was in my bed and people started tweeting me and say, oh, "Are you okay?" And I was, dude, but that I. I barely felt that one, you know. I, by the time I said, uh, "Should I do something?" It was over. Yeah. Right? 
but this one was definitely different. Uh, you know, the whole uh, place where I was started to shook up. The the window started to creak in the most horrible way possible. And the fact that uh, I, I'm I'm not near the downtown area, right? Yeah. You know, so the place where I live, you usually don't feel uh, earthquakes as strongly as if you were uh, closer to the center of the city. You know, uh, mm-hmm. because of the topographical, you know, the distribution of, of Mexico City or, or or whatever. You know, you have to. One has to remind that right now Mexico City, which is probably the biggest city in 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 the continent, was built on top of what was a, a, a lake. You know, 500 years ago. Yeah. You know, now the the the, the lake was dried out, uh, but it's still you know it's very, very it's still very unstable ground, and that's why the reason why uh, earthquakes uh, are felt so strongly in the city, and that's one also one of the reasons why, in this occasion, it was uh, 7.1 earthquake. I, I think the, the 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 one from August was even stronger, but the epicenter of this one was way closer to Mexico, to the city. And one, what, what is one of the reasons why it, we once again experienced the collapse of buildings the, the same way that it happened back in 1985. And back in 1985, I was 12 years, years old. You know, I was still in grade school. You know, I was about to start uh, junior high. And, you know, as a kid... Uh, you feel that, and it's kind of surreal. And then you saw the destruction on TV. You know all the buildings that collapse, and all, on all the rubble, and it's kind of surreal. But once again, you feel it when you're an, an adult, and it's I don't know, it's it's a whole new dimension. It's in a way, it's kind of like important theme. I don't know if if I should say this, but I think that. In a way, it's important to to have this reminded us of how of just how fragile and how you know uh, that we're mortal beings. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think many of us felt that. But one of the great things that happened uh, because of the earthquake is once again we saw uh, the the citizens of Mexico rising up to the occasion mm. and doing doing all they could to try to help those in need, particularly among uh, the 20-year-olds, you know, or people who are in high school or, 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 the, or, or their early 30s, the millennials, right? Yeah, yeah. And we have this stereotype of, of the millennials being with their nose buried on, on, on their phones, not really caring much about the state of the world and politics and all of that, you know. We, we, we feel them to be closed or isolated in their own bubble. Right. But I have to tell you, they really taught us on that occasion that they, when the right time comes, they, they can be just as uh, full of solidarity and just as willing to risk, risk it all, you know, to try to help uh, people in need. It, it really gave... Uh, those of us who are in, in, in our 40s, you know, people who, who are, you know, middle-aged, a lot of hope for the future of this country because if that energy can be, can be some kind of endured or preserved, you know, there, there's really no telling what we, this generation could do 
for the benefit of this country. In fact, that is kind of like the things that we are starting to regret right now. Like things are uh, are uh, quote unquote calming down. Like people are no no, no longer on the streets trying to be on those uh, raids or, or trying to to uh, bring food to the to the survivors of, of the catastrophe or trying right. to go and and and, and leap leap up the debris or clean up the, the rubble. I guess people went back home and they're like not now like of expecting the government to do their part. But uh, like you said, it's, it's correct. You know, people uh, tend to uh, numb down and to like go into this uh, lethargy very quickly nowadays. And now we're forgetting that there's still people out there who who have literally have no place to live because they, yeah, they, they lost, lost their everything. home. Yeah. And and like you said, it's it's not only in Mexico. It's in Puerto Rico. Uh, like only 50% of people, if I'm correct, have uh, electricity. It's, it's it's terrible. And 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 what's happening in California? I don't know. I think it's we are so. I guess maybe it's the the problem with our with our instant access to technology. We're so bombarded so constantly with all these developments all around the world that it's very difficult to cope to cope with it. And maybe one of the re- things that people cope with it is that you know you get kind of detached and like saying, well, you know, okay, so Puerto Rico uh, sucks to be them, you know. <laughs> it's I'm, I'm not living there. I I don't know anyone there. So what can I do? And and one of the things is that you know we are seeing all these disasters, and whether they're happening more frequently or not, it's up to debate. I don't think so. I think that's what's happening is that we are more aware of them nowadays. Right? Yeah, we're seeing them more. Yeah. Exactly, but we need that kind of reminding of that. Hey, next time it could really happen to you because this is a living planet you know some people were were saying that you know the, the, all these hurricanes and and by the way there was a hurricane or a, or a tropical storm that was going to toward ireland it's like yeah, I saw that. yeah 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 it's really <laughs> weird yeah i try not to like worry too the only thing the the I got, like, spooked by the Mexican earthquake briefly because it was, like, right when that guy had, predict- <laughs> had predicted, like, uh, it was, like, really close to September 23rd. It was, like, right after the hurricanes, and there was this huge earthquake. And, like, for, for like, half a day, I was kind of like, I wonder if that guy's right. <laughs> like, I, I wonder if Planet X really is about to sweep in and, and mess up this planet. But, yeah, it's just weird. I think, in a way, I mean, you're probably right that it's just this natural thing. But you almost wonder, in a sense, like, how you were saying, like, we need these kind of things. I agree. And it's almost like you wonder if if there's some larger message in the madness of it all. Sure. Where it's like, you would think technology, like, it's supposed to be, oh, technology has made us all connected. You know, that, that, that thing should be easy. It's like, well, here's <laughs> here's some challenges for you, uh, you know, humans or Earth or, or whatever. It's like, here's, here's like, several massive uh, hurricanes and, and a, a disastrous earthquake and wildfire, like all at the same time, you know. I mean, forget all the all the turmoil, like politics and everything. It's like maybe there's another part where it could be, could be this could this like just angst, this collective angst, be manifesting itself in the weather or something. Who knows, you know? Well, you know, uh, I'm no conspiracy theorist, right? 
Yeah. But on the, on the same, uh, having said that, I don't think that is so that outrageous to to assume that uh, nuclear testings could have some kind of impact on 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 the planet, right? I mean, we do know that one way to detect. Um, uh, a nuclear test from from nations like North Korea is through seismometers. Yeah, so yeah. They, they literally causes er- cause earthquakes, and we think, okay, so ju- that that is a localized uh, phenomenon, right? or uh, it's a localized uh, uh, impact. But we have to remind ourselves, you know, nature is about connectedness. Everything is connected to everything. So it, it, that, that is the, the, the thing with our planet. So we don't know if, if uh, you know, uh, blasting a bomb on the South Pacific, you know, can have a large impact. ripple effect. Yeah. A ripple effect, exactly. And maybe that, you know, if we want to go speculating and starting to talk about UFOs, it was one of the reasons why those uh, wacky contactees started to have, receive all these messages from from the Sprays brothers, right, and saying, hey, you guys, you're starting to mess with these nuclear things, and, you know, maybe it's not really such a great idea. Yeah, that's one of the prevalent theories, it seems, about UFOs that, or the modern UFO era, let's say, that, like, they started showing up right right around when we started tinkering with all this nuclear stuff. So. Or even before, right? I mean, one of the, uh, uh, a recent article that I published uh, for Mysterious Universe was this uh, really fascinating story that was first uh, um, uh, published um, on uh, this classical book, Mor- Morning of the Magicians, by Louis Powell and Jacques Vergier. It was uh, released in 1968. And it talks about uh, Jacques Vergier. Uh, he was a chemical engineer, but was also fascinated with alchemy. Mm-hmm. And he relates the story that uh, in the 1930s, before the start of the, of the Second World War, he allegedly had an encounter with a mysterious man who, who never gave his, his name or, or identity, but he warned him. He warned about uh, you know, research into nuclear energy because it could have disastrous, disastrous implications for humanity. And this guy apparently was uh, someone who professed to know about a, the ancient art of alchemy. And alchemy, everybody thinks that it was you know, just a bunch of weird old men in, in the Middle Ages trying to be, uh, turn lead into gold, right? You know, that's the, the cliche stereotype. But the fact is that alchemy is a really, really ancient practice. We, we, in fact, we don't know how old it is. Uh, we have only a few hints about it. I mean, the name itself, Alchemet, which is uh, uh, Arabic, uh, uh, Kemet means Egypt. So apparently this uh, science can at least... Um, be uh, linked back to ancient Egypt. And, and, and if you go the whole Von Daniken or Graham Hancock Avenue, then maybe the people from Egypt uh, received those, sec- those uh, sacred principles from a previous civilization, right? Now we're talking about you know, Atlantis and all of those things. But getting back to the story, you know, this guy said, you know, this, uh, he warned Vergier you know, that trying to research into nuclear energy was very dangerous 
uh, because with a few ounces of matter turning into energy, you could destroy a, a whole city. And let's remember that this was before uh, the release of the of the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Right, right. You know, before we really uh, learned about the, how just how powerful the, the the atomic weapons could be, before the the, the detonations in in the Trinity's test site. The, the scientists who were working in the Manhattan Project, they really didn't know what, just how uh, powerful the, the, the blast would be. You know, they, they, they ran bets about it. I mean, some were really serious in, in worrying that they could start a chain reaction that could uh, put the whole atmosphere of the planet on fire, <laughs> you know. But it's interesting, yeah. It makes you think about like that whole thing with CERN, where people were like, "When they turn it on, it's going to open a black hole. It's going to eat the planet." It's like <laughs> it's kind of the same idea in a way. In, in a, yeah, and and that's one of the things that uh, these alleged alchemists told uh, Verger that in ancient times there were people who who had managed to gather a lot of of advanced knowledge, but they were um, Kind of endowed with this high sense of morality, you know, about about the research, and that's why they they try to keep keep it secret. Yeah. And you know, the, the, there is the idea that uh, alchemy was the only science with conscience. And we, w- what you see now in 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 modern science is like kind of like the things that the the the, the character of Ian Malcolm tells in in the Jurassic Park movie. You know, the idea that yeah, if you can have this great scientific uh, breakthrough just because you can't, but should, shouldn't you consider if you should? And the idea nowadays is no, if you, if you can do it, you better do it first, otherwise somebody else will. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that we, we, we now hear with the development of, of artificial intelligence. Yeah, like exactly, everybody, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people worry about it, you know, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, all of that, like, hey, hey, this is, this is dangerous stuff. But at the same time, the people who are de- developing it is, okay, yeah, it is dangerous stuff, but if we, don't do, we de- if we don't develop it first, our enemies will. And then we will have this AI gap. It's kind of like the, the sequel race. to Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's freaky. It's weird. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not one of those people that tends to worry about the AI thing because, in a sense, it's like I think it'll miss us. <laughs> I think. What do you I, mean? That I, it would happen after we die. Yeah, I think any like really bad thing will happen like after <laughs> after we die. Like at like at the end of the century, maybe that's when they'll be like, all right, we've gone to let's just run amok. I know that like they think it's going to happen really fast, but it's like. As I grow older, I've been doing this, doing this show for like 13 years. It's like all, all, a lot of the stuff we worried about back when we first started the show is like, it hasn't happened, but it's kind of happened, and it's like we've managed to sort of like adapt to <laughs> the things we feared, you know? Because like I always point out on the show, like the whole back when I first got into this, it was like, oh, they're gonna put microchips in everyone and shit. And I've said on the show over the years, it's like. They did. They gave us phones, dude. Like, yep. we, we have the phones. We willingly took the chip and just put it in our pocket instead of putting it in our hand. But it's like 99% of the time in your fucking hand anyway. Most of the, you know, we credited the young people, but it's like they, they're they the ones who've been brainwashed the most about these things. So, 
you know, they've been roped in the hardest on these things. But it's like, so the chip is real. The chip is, is out there. It's just like everybody has it in the form of a phone, you know. And it's funny because people it used to be, the thing would be like, you're not going to be able to go to the store without the phone. You're not going to be able to, I mean, without the chip. You're not going to, you know, you can't buy and sell without the chip and all this stuff. And it's like, kind of is that. It's like anyone who doesn't have a cell phone is like, is is completely disconnected from the fabric of society now, like just by the nature of how it's enveloped everything. Yeah, you know that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is going to rule the world eventually because even your grandmother is in, in Facebook. You know, <laughs> even your granny was, hey, how do you send a message to your <laughs> auntie Bertha there with this gluey, you know, the blue window? And and yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, people. It's funny, you know, the, uh, being a Mexican, I, I'm kind of like an outsider of, of the people in the United States, you know, in, in, in conspiracy groups and whatever. And, and I probably, one of the reasons why I'm so, in a way immune to, to the paranoia that is so prevalent in those groups. It's true, because, yeah, you know, I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're so worried, I mean, and, and not, I'm not saying it's not justifiable, they're so worried about their loss of privacy, right? But at the same time, uh, millennials and, 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 and generation, I think that the first generation who has uh, lived all your life with digital devices are, are just, you know, getting into high school, you know? Yeah. And for those generations, you know, to be in front of a camera all the time is completely normal. It's like, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, <laughs> are you crazy? Imagine if, 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 if for them it's, it's, it's unbelievable, the idea of, hey, you can be in a room without, you know, electronic, electronic gadgets and that without anybody knowing what you're doing. Ah, oh, shut up, you know, and they are tweeting or Instagramming whatever they are doing right now, you know, yeah. the food they're taking or where they are. And, and there are some aspects about that, that are scary. There are some aspects about that that maybe, that maybe could be beneficial in the long term. But one thing's for sure, you know, 10 years or 20 years from now, uh, the idea about, you know, privacy and the idea about personal freedom is going to change a lot. It's going to be very different from what we, uh, you know, consider to be normal. And because one thing that I also think is happening is that uh, the world is really speeding up in some instances you know some in some things it, it stayed the same but in other aspects there it's really like uh, revving up like if you go to college nowadays you know and you go five years to try to attain a diploma and the and the United States you know it's a really uh, crappy uh, proposition because then you get a huge debt that you have to pay for the Lex. 20, 15 years or whatever. Yeah, and it's like even worse because now they've they gave out so many loans and everything to rope all those people in that now they've diluted the value of the four year degree. So now people are yeah, having to go and get a not a master's degree if they want to. <laughs> you know, because the kid at McDonald's has a has has a four year degree. It's like what? Yeah. Yeah, it's a crappy position because you have to work for pay for 20 years a piece of paper that only will probably be useful for five or ten years at the most 
you know, because the world keeps changing, because the the uh, job industry or the job market is also in, in constant evolution, and, and the professions that are profitable nowadays, maybe not so, um, you know, in the very near future. I was, I was w watching a, a video on YouTube about this, um, I don't know, conference that was held by Adobe, you know, the company that that uh, creates the or has the rights for the Photoshop uh, software, you know, which is kind of like the industry standard for photo retouching and, and also video editing. And they were showing their new applications, and it was truly amazing. It, it, these guys were basically, with just a few bu buttons, try, totally manipulating a, 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 a picture. Like you, you have three persons walking around on a park, and you want to get rid of those persons, no problem. You, you, you just click one button, and they're gone. And and you can even replace them for other people for other people. And let's talk about you know what that implicates for people who still think that UFO uh, can be UFOs can be proven with video or with graphic evidence. You know, let's just forget about that. But not only that, but you know, someone who tried to make a living out of that <laughs> uh, photo retouching is going to lose their job. <laughs> you know, very quickly. Yeah, well, what I was thinking uh, as you were talking about that is the idea like that, kind of what I said where I was like, it's going to be a while. I think that the people, whoever's sort of like, whoever's de de developing these this technology in a sense, it's, I hope and I, I, I'd like to think that they're sort of anticipating the problem that they're going to create as it gets more sophisticated with the idea that like there's all this talk of, uh, oh, they're going to have, uh, you know, self-driving uh, transportation trucks. You know, so like all the truckers are going to lose their jobs, and it's like they're developing robots to do, you know, uh, to work at McDonald's and stuff. And it's like all those people are going to. It's like, what are they going to do about all these? What are they going to have people do if we if we if we if we replace everything with robots? And I don't think like that's why I think it's going to be a really slow process where you know, but we're going to look up, at, you know, as we're old men and be like. Well, you know, they got by, they, they survived the whole trucker crisis when they replaced them, but we'll see what they do now that they've replaced all the firefighters with robots or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like we'll, we'll sort of be at the stage where it's like we're getting old and we'll be like, this might become a problem. But luckily, I think we'll be out, out of the picture by then. Who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, um... Uh, I, well, I don't want to get personal. I'm 44 years old, and I'm ba basically out of the, of the job market here in Mexico because of what I do. You know, because I have to compete with 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 the people that are 20 years younger, and I, they're willing to 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 earn a third of what I used to. Yeah. You know, and, and, and work, you know, two or three extra hours per day. You know, and I used to work, you know, 12 hours a day. <laughs> so. Uh, what I think it it could happen, Tim, and I, I, I've listened to people uh, discuss this more and more frequently, is the idea of uh, universal income. Yeah, the idea yeah. Of, of of paying people just for being, you know, alive and breathing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let me ask you. Let me just stop you quick. Is this sound better now? You sent me a message uh, very professionally. Sent me a private message, and now I'm going to go unprofessional <laughs> and ask. <laughs> Ask, is the sound better now? Am I coming in clearer than I was before? 
It's the same. It's like uh, every time you start talking very rapidly, it starts to break. Really weird. Uh, all right. Anyone right in the now, ch- Yeah, yeah the, like now with that tone, it's, it's, that that speed is fine. All right. I'll try and slow down. <laughs> <laughs> People in the chat room, are we having any, any sound problems? They'll let us know. See, dude, technology. It's supposed to mm-hmm. make things easier, but it doesn't. I tend to move oh, no. around a lot. Maybe I'll just stay and try and stay in one place. So we're talking about universal income. Do you think yes. it, it couldn't work? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't know. Where are they going to get the money from? <laughs> like, the, like from the people who have, you know, trillions of dollars, and they won't be able to spend it even if they lived a, a thousand lifetimes. Although if those guys manage to get the secret of immortality, then I guess we're all screwed. Yeah, the money would have to come from the people with the with, with the robots that replace all the stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, so and they like, will be willing to give it away. Otherwise, you know, they will have to go to I don't know, Iceland or some other you know remote island, and and or maybe you know Mars if you want to go that way and and stay there. Uh, out of fear of all the, you know, the plebs that they left behind. You know, it's like the, the movie Elysium. Yeah. You know, in which you have the one percenters basically living above everyone else, literally, because they live in a space in a space station in which they have all these wonderful medical technologies that that keep them cancer-free and wrinkle-free, you know, and diabetes-free and fat-free for the rest of their lives. Meanwhile, the rest of the world looks like, uh, you know, uh, Ciudad Juarez. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because they have to uh, – they, they would ha- if the whole idea is like they replaced all the truck drivers with trucks that drive across the country, it's like that they're delivering stuff that people have to buy, so it's like people have – the whole the whole system re- relies on people buying stuff essentially. Yep. So it's like if they don't have the money to buy stuff, then you don't have the money to send the trucks around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, so exactly. There needs to be some kind of balance there. But I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I don't quite think that I, I don't quite think they have that figured out yet. I guess is the idea. You know. No, that, capital like, capitalism never has that figured out. Capitalism is is about perennial growth. You know, and and the problem is that there cannot be perennial growth uh, on a closed uh, um, environment, an environment with finite resources. And obviously, there has been um, endless discussion about this. You know, there was this guy uh, Malthus, and the idea that you know by the by the early 20th century there was going to be so many people in the planet that there wouldn't be any any more food for them you know there was this so there was this uh, i think the, the term is malthusian uh you know catastrophe but then uh, the the people who rebuke those ideas they claim that technology eventually has a, 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 a way around it and in the in, in the case of, of food, by the 1960s, there was uh, a, uh, a revolution in uh, agriculture. You know, there were people who who created technologies that they also uh, taught to countries of the third world, like in Mexico and India, and that managed to create a boom of of food that kind of like prevented that 
you know that the, the idea that there going to going to be this uh, overpopulation crisis you know and then there was all these uh, 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 birth control measurements that countries started to try to enact uh, by the 1970s trying to to reduce uh, the number of births but also like you said you know that that, it's, uh, it, that also causes some, some other problems like for example there are there are literally uh, nations um, for in Europe and even in Japan in which they will soon have more senior citizens more people that are over 60 years old than people that are uh, you know 18 years old oh yeah definitely so, in Japan they have like a big problem there yeah, and 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 that causes a problem, like saying, okay, who is going to take care for those elderly? And Japan, instead of saying, yeah, well, we'll just invite uh, people from other nations to come here and take care of our elderly, they say, screw that, we're gonna build robots. Yeah, they love the robots. Know, yeah, they to wipe too. their ass of granny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be honest, that's a good job for a robot. You know, I, I don't. Look, wiping grandma's asses is a the kind of thing you would want to turn develop a machine to do. <laughs> I don't know. Come on. Well, yeah, and there are things like yeah, and and for example, war, right? I yes, think that exactly. maybe in Absolutely. twenty in twenty yeah. years, wars will be uh, fought by robots. You know, for the uh, developed nations. Well, the rest of the nations that will still have to be, you know, uh, you know, bat- battling the robots, and that's going to create all these kind of ethical conundrums, or whether you know. You should should you let the robots to to have autonomy to pull the trigger or not? It's going to be complicated, and I I really feel team it's going to come sooner than we realize because it always with the, with the future it always happens it always it always catches us you know with our pants down. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I suppose a lot of a lot of my stance is wishful thinking in a sense, where it's like I, I don't want, I don't want to deal with <laughs> with robots and, and uh, but in a way I think you're right because you we're already sort of talking about this transition where it's like they're talking about this truck thing being an, an inevitability and it's like uh, the whole idea of like war and robots uh, is 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 already kind of playing out with the drones thing where it's like are we ethically but what are the ethics involved here? We can just run these, these like uh, we can, you know, what, what the Germans did to the to the British, the, the Blitz. You know, we could we could develop a way to just blitz someplace with thousands of drones dropping, and no one and not lose a single American. You know, so it's like, what's the, <laughs> what's what's the, it, it's like I guess that's war though. If you 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 strive to have the better weapons, right? But it's kind of like. At what at what cost, man? Yeah, well, uh, let's go back to Morning of the Magicians. These, the, the authors of that book, they argue how there was a time when uh, technological advancement, you know, just for the sake of trying to have the upper hand uh, against your enemy, was kind of like looked down or restricted. There was actually this pope in medieval times who enacted a prohibition against uh, the tripods that uh, the uh, archers using longbows, they could use these tripods to try to kind of like uh, balance the weapon and try to, you know, because they're very heavy, right? But uh, the popes, uh, 
decided that those tripods would give the archers uh, an unfair and inhuman advantage against their, ah. their enemies. Yeah. So for 200 years in Europe, those tripods were banned. Interesting. Wow. All right. Maybe not. Not this is going to be like we're going into kooky conspiracy realm, but it's like maybe that's we always talk. It always frustrates me in a sense where they talk about how the government has all these like UFO technology, but maybe it's like this stuff's too advanced. It's not fair if we we could take over the world if we just used the UFOs we have in our possession, but it's not it's not a good idea to do or something. You know. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's an interesting uh, philosophical conundrum because I'm really. You know, uh, 20 years ago, it was so certain that the United States was, in fact, reverse engineering uh, UFO technology, you know, back when I was reading um, the Groom Lake Desert Rat and reading about Area 51 and Bob Lazar, and there was this also this other guy, J-Rod, who claimed to have been an engineer in Area 51 who, made, who met, you know, the gray aliens that were uh, teaching the, the United States, how to pilot these UFOs and all of that. Nowadays, I'm more skeptical of, of, of that story. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, let's say that you, they do have, you know, one or two UFOs, you know, and even if, even if they know how to operate them and maybe it doesn't cost like a trillion dollars just to take that flying saucer for a spin for 10 minutes, you know, let's say they could say, okay, you know, we can use that flying saucer and, I don't know, the phaser uh, 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 Kim Jong-un out of existence, you know, you know <laughs> yeah. in, in 10 seconds or, or less, and, and finish with our whole crisis. But, yeah, but what what are the implications of that? Because it's the same thing that the genie out of the bottle that happened with, with nuclear energy. I mean, uh, 20 years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the, the Russians said, or even less than 20 years, the Russians said, hey, guess what? We have the bomb too. <laughs> and when everybody noticed just how uh, relatively easy it is to build these things, they started to, to, to try to replicate and to try to, to, to have one of their own. And we are now in, in, into this insane race in which the United States is still has uh, the longest, uh, the largest stick, in which say, yeah, you can have it, but you can't, you know. And that yeah, those yeah. you that can't are Iran and North Korea, Iraq back in the day. But, you know, the, the, those who can are Israel and France and Great Britain and Germany. And it's, uh, there was someone in a podcast who was saying, well, you know, maybe everybody should have a nuclear weapon because then, then we will really have that um, uh, assured uh, total destruction, you know, that, that was kind of like was the basis of the, of the Cold War stalemate. But I don't, I don't know if that is the solution because to me that is kind of like equating the, the NRA utopia of having everybody, even a child, you know, being armed with a gun every every time you walk down the street. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I don't, like I a, don't want to live in that world. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of those standoffs where you're like shooting everybody else. It's like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's too much. Because because uh, well, 
part of me worries about like local skirmishes, but then at the same time, it's like India and Pakistan have nukes, and that, that was the thing that everybody was worried about. So maybe once once maybe once the country gets it, then they realize the power. But all it takes is one lunatic idiot to to mess it all up. So so mm-hmm. yeah. So it's not it's not a very it's a very tenuous uh, <laughs> tenuous situation to be a part of. I think so. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's probably not a great idea. And I'm still open to the idea that uh, in in ancient past there were civilizations who managed to 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 develop uh, technologies similar in destructive power to to nuclear weapons, and they blew themselves up. And you know they they we we don't have any remnants for that because uh, you know our our constructions are really very fragile. You know there there are those. Um, programs, TV programs, which show how, you know, if, if the white human race was, was wiped out, like, tomorrow, yeah. you know. Oh, I love those shows. Yeah, New York City will be, you know, completely devastated and, and full of, you know, uh, trees and, and, and stuff. Lions and tigers and shit, yeah. They really yeah, in, in 10, <laughs> 20 years, you know, and, yeah. and in 50 years, you know, the Empire State will collapse, you know, and by 100 years, probably nothing will stand you know. Yeah. Well, let's hope that's not the case. How is the sound now uh, since we switched everything over and I sat down and stopped running around better? It's kind of better, yeah. yeah but at least I can understand what you're saying. Weird. Well, the people in the chat said it was okay, so I don't know what the hell's going on, but i, I got to get a new phone on this weekend. Um, yeah, well, it makes you wonder in a sense, too, if the you know, you're you're talking about, or you were telling us about the the guys who tested the first uh, bomb there. It's like it makes mm-hmm. you. A lot of people have this idea that like, oh, these ancient civilizations, maybe they went to war with each other, but maybe it was just they were trying to invent the bomb, and they, much as the people were sort of betting on what would happen, like they they didn't carry the one or something in the math, and they just, you know, they were like, let's just test it right here in the middle of the of the city. It'll be fine. We'll just see what. We'll just we'll just turn it on and see what happens. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they blew up a nuke, like, right in the middle of Atlantis by accident. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, and, 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 and then, I mean, you see, there was this interesting uh, TV show a long time ago, the idea of uh, the designers of this um, uh, facility in Yucca Mountain, you know, this place where the United States... Uh, wanted to dump a whole lot of radioactive waste, the thing that will still have a a half-life of 50,000 years or something like that, you know. And the idea was, okay, how do you build something that first, you know, will endure all of that time, and second, will try to dissuade people from entering it, you know, and, and because if you use uh, some kind of like uh, uh, warning sign with with your own alphabet, well, obviously, in 50,000 years, nobody is going to read English. You know, the, 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 the words will be meaningless. You know, the same thing that happens with us trying to decipher, you know, Mayan uh, Mayan writing or, or, or even the, the Rongo Rongo tablets of Easter Island, right? Yeah. And... and so they came up with something in the in the end that looked a whole lot like uh, a pyramid, you know, and and re- reminded me of just how all those people who are so obsessed of trying to enter 
all the secret tunnels inside the Great Pyramid because they think that they're going to get up and, and find the, the, I don't know, the, the tablets from Atlantis or, or you know, the, the, the machine left by the ancient aliens. But what if the people who built it left, uh, left it closed for a very good reason? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I tend to think like most of the good stuff's already gone from those places anyway because they've been around for thousands of years, you know. It's it's oh, remarkable. I, I remember hearing the story that like I don't know if it was when they discovered it or it was like during a war or something, but uh I think it was like Napoleon I'm just butchering this historical factoid, but it's all right. Uh but Napoleon's I think it was Napoleon's troops they just shot at like the Sphinx. They just shot mm-hmm. like shot at it when they first saw it. And it was like <laughs> who knows what else what used to be out there that, that civilization just blew up and and, and destroyed. Sure. But then there's the library the of Alexandria. That. Yeah, exactly, a good point. Uh, there's the idea, I guess, with Egypt that uh, the ancient Egyptians or, or the people who preceded the Egyptians were so smart that what they would make sure to to bury their you know treasures or their knowledge until we were ready for them. You know, and that's why you know uh, there's all these legends about uh, some secret chambers beneath the paws hmm. of the Great Sphinx. This is something that, you know, the, the, the followers of Edgar Cayce uh, were trying really, really hard to to uh, discover. And in fact, this is something that, that fascinated me when I first learned of it. No, none other than Sahih Hawass, the guy who became the great honcho yeah. of Egypt, uh, you know, Egyptian uh, archaeology, back in the 90s, that guy actually got, uh, uh, what is this, a scholarship from the Edgar Cayce Foundation. Oh, wow. Something that he has tried to deny and tried to, to to cover all of his career because he doesn't want to be associated with that anymore. But he basically got his education in the United States because of people who were uh, entrusting him or were, or, or were to trying to see if he could ho- work or try to 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 get a hand or, or, or on finding that secret chamber. Hmm, that's weird. I never heard that before. Oh yeah, it's 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 part of his, you know what part, one of the things that Robert evolved. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, his dark past and this you know this long quarrel with the likes of Robert Babol and Robert Shock. You know, and those are the guys who, who, if you go to their websites, they they have documented all of this and also all these uh, troubles he had with National Geographic and corruption and the fact that he was uh, so close to the president in Egypt that they ousted back in the days of the Arab Spring. What was the name of this guy? Hosni Mubarak. Yes. Uh, you know, that's why he, in the end, kind of like what, fell out of grace and lost his job. I guess he's now back into the Egyptian government. I don't know if he if he got his old job back or not, but I think that he kind of like stepped out of it for a little while, and then, I don't know, I think he's, he's kind of like... This is Ali Hawass you're talking about? Yeah, Sahih Hawass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like... 
I think he's like an esteemed fellow type thing, where he's not something the, like that. Something, yeah. yeah, where they kind of changed his title and maybe like, uh, yeah, he's like he's like that pope that <laughs> stepped out. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. like, but but more vocal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting in a sense because like. I, I haven't given much thought to this idea of uh, the stuff, you know, being, I guess, I like the idea that, like, the ancients left us stuff to figure out uh, when it was time. Because to me, it's like, part of me wonders if it's just the universal yearning uh, for... A golden age. Yeah, or for, like, answers, where it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, the aliens are going to tell us what's going on. And it's yeah. like, well, if you don't, maybe if you don't believe that, you're like, well... The the Atlanteans they knew what was going on, yeah. And <laughs> you know I think maybe maybe uh, maybe there's just something innate, inherently like ingrained in in the human condition where it's like someone has the someone there's, there's answers out there to whatever these big questions are. Yeah, totally, and and also that is what fuels our um, ideas and even our uh, hopes about the afterlife. You know, the idea that yeah. The moment that we kick the bucket, flatline, and go into that tunnel of light, we're totally going to get all of the answers to the universe that we were scratching our heads back here in this, uh, you know, in this rock uh, orbit in the sun. But what if that's not the case? <laughs> you know, what if those spirits, you know, in the fifth dimension, are as clueless as we are? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to hope, as crazy as it might sound, I'd like to hope that uh, that there's that even that you don't get all the answers when you die, because it would kind of yeah. be boring. Like I hope there's like yeah. new mysteries that, like a new season of of weird mysteries that I that 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 grow out of out of the answers we receive. Yeah, uh, uh, this is that's something that I also started to develop that ideology once once when I started to to study the Uran material you know Urantia is a, is a, an alleged channeled book yeah I think yeah it was published in in the 1920s 1930s something like that in the United States and it's a, a whole lot of book like 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 uh, continuing where, where the bible left off right mm. and uh, it talks about this whole the the the, the real secret history of the world and the real the creation of the universe and and, and uh, the thing that uh, that it uh, paints to me and that I think that kind of resonates with me is the idea number one that this reality or this universe or what we perceive is the whole of the universe is just a tiny 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 subset of a bigger reality and that I think it's 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 a really interesting idea, and I also kind of think that will explain a lot about uh, phenomena like the UFOs. I, I feel that, in a way, UFOs are more real than us. You know, UFOs are real, whereas us and our world is the illusion. You know, that's number one. And number two, the the thing that it the concept that it showed or kind of like proposed uh, Durante material that after you die, yeah, you go into just another level of existence that is a little more advanced than this one. But the the idea is to keep on pressing on, you know, 
life after life after life in trying to attain attain more and more uh, perfection, you know, and, and kind of like learn more and experience more of life and experience more about what's out there until, you know, there comes a time, you know, in trillions or quadrillion years from now in which you kind of like attain a godlike nature. And, and that kind of like thing makes sense to me you know, as someone who was a former Catholic, mm. but also someone who, who think that uh, could also work with the idea of reincarnation, that, okay, you know, if you do well in this lifetime, okay, you may go and, and to reincarnate in, in, in another world, not like Earth, but a little bit, you know, better. But if you, you know, screw the pooch, no, well, you have to, you know, go and, 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 and do the test once again, you know, and you go and reincarnate once again into this earth. Yeah. Well, I, I, I talked about this once with Paul Kimmel. We had sort of a heated conversation about it in a sense where it's like, <laughs> it makes me sort of like fearful that that idea uh, in a sense where it's like, I just am very egocentric and it's like, you want to hold on to your own, your own personality in a sense, you know, yeah. I, you know what I mean? It's like, it, but I guess maybe once you're in the next personality, you don't care about the the last one. Who knows? Well, what what is your personality, team? I mean, what do you think constitutes you? I guess like the cumulative experiences and and morals and that kind of thing. Sure, uh, but, like uh, dislikes. Me, I guess. Okay, but let me uh, put you an example. You know, you go to bed and you go and dream. Do you have a, a do you dream? Rarely. All right. But you have dreamed in the past. Yes. Yeah. I, I have dreamed before, yes. Okay. And, and have you dreamed about other people or being in, in, in I don't know, like uh, the house you grew up with or being Oh, in yeah, yeah. And encountering other people that I knew and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But think about it. All those people in your dreams land, all, all those parts of the dream, you know, the table uh, your your seat beside and, and or, or or the house you are inhabiting, they are all parts of you. They are parts of your own mind. It's just that you are not, you you don't think they are parts of you. You are in a way disconnected from them, but they are part of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So where do you start? Where do you begin? And where do you end? I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's deep. This is the wisdom I was talking about, folks. <laughs> The wisdom of Red Pill Junkie, it just uh it just exudes. It just exudes. I don't know, yeah. Well I, I, that that calms me down somewhat about <laughs> about the afterlife, but then yeah. But at the same time it's like I, I see what you're saying. We are all interconnected, who knows where it all begins and ends. Yeah, well, there was this um alchemist and I I think you will notice that right now I'm kind of like obsessed with alchemy once again, you know. I think that there's something there that maybe we should look up more, uh, but there was this guy, you know, the, this uh, natural philosopher, I guess it was the term back in the day, Fascius uh, uh, Cardan, and th this guy kind of like made the, the rites, and I guess he drew a pentagram in his laboratory, and he invoked some uh, ethereal being, sylphs, right, you know, elementals, and I think seven of them appeared, three of them were uh, like the principles, and he started to ask them questions about the nature of God and then the nature of the world. And when 
one of the answers that he he got is when he, one of the questions that he made was, okay, uh, how did God create the world? And and one of them said, well, you know, just God, you know, created the world and that's that. And and another one kind of like contradicted the first and said, no, 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 God is creating the world moment to moment. And if God ceased to think about the world for just one moment, the whole world will cease to exist. And this is something, Tim, that was written in uh, the 1600s or something like that, hundreds of years ago. And in a way, it perfectly matches with our current understanding of quantum physics and the observer effect, the idea that nothing really exists by itself. It has to be observed by a, or it has to be experienced by a consciousness. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that kind of like goes with the whole uh, Zen con of, of if there's a, uh, uh, someone clapping their, their hands in the, in the forest, but there was no, no one there to listen to it, you know, right, so right. the sound exists or not. And, and the other thing that this guy, Fascius Cardan, received, uh, the knowledge they received from these uh, beings was the idea that when a person, nothing of the person remains after they die. And, okay, so that you could interpret it as saying, okay, so you die and, you know, you are, that is the total annihilation of your being, right? But... It could also be that the aspects that you were talking about, that you treasure the most, your, you know, your memories of, you know, your friends, the, the places you visited, you know, your favorite food, your favorite movies, those things that you cherish, uh, you think that constitute yourself, those things are lost once you die. But there's another aspect of you, your higher self, by using the parlance of mystics, that that endures and moves on into maybe another cycle of rebirth. Yeah. And that, in a way, it's concordant with what people like Dr. Ian Stephens uh, started to study with regards to children that remember their past reincarnations. The idea that, okay, so there's this uh, consciousness that is moving around from life after life, and these children, they, they, they tend to remember snippets of their past lives, but sooner or later that whole, that thing goes away and, and, and the children, you know, moves on into their, their new existence. But does that, does that mean that the ch- child or, or that self from the child was annihilated once he died? No, it just means that it's kind of like a cosplaying maybe, you know. You are cosplaying into a character, you know, in a, in, a, in a given narrative, and once the, this movie is over, you know, you go and, 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 and interpret a different role, but it's the same actor. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, yeah. Well, we'll see. Now, what do you think of this idea? Because I, uh, I switched phones again, so if you start to speak up, you yeah, know. That is perfect now. Yeah. All right, we'll see if this one holds up better. What do you think of this whole idea? Because I was sort of reading an opinion piece about this, and it stems from what we've been talking about here. Like that, just that you take the technology we're talking about and how it's kind of dangerous and growing, um, and the idea of like the ultimate quest 
is 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 to get, is to is to cheat is to stop death, right? Isn't that mm-hmm. like the ultimate uh, human <laughs> quest? Yeah. Um, like at some point, there's a possibility, there's a chance. I mean, much like the trucker thing, I think maybe uh, I would. I don't know how I feel about whether I want to be around when this happens, but they, they're talking about someday being able to. To just you know to to take your 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 I don't know your zeitgeist your zest or whatever <laughs> like mm-hmm. what we're talking about and save it and say you know and you won't die. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like well, there's a lot, there's a million ways to go down in that in that idea where it's like I don't know if that's a good idea or not and it, I think it who knows it just it, it it freaks me out in a way but I think it's I think it's almost bound to happen and it's like we haven't really thought through the consequences of that who are who are we what makes you any better than like your grandfather? Like everyone should die, right? I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I remember there was this uh, episode on Star Trek: The Next Generation, in which there was these planets that the Enterprise goes to, and there was this scientist that was doing a lot of. Uh, the, he was researching the the star of that planet because. It was a, it was going to go into supernova, you know, very soon, and he was trying to find, you know, an answer to, to that. But that particular society, uh, dictated by, you know, people after they reach a certain age, let's say 60 years old, they had to be euthanized. You know, it was nothing personal. It just was the way of 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 their society. You know, but the guy was about to have him go into a breakthrough but he was you know he was he had reached that age but he needed to continue his work right mm-hmm. and and there was this uh, uh uh moral dilemma you know should he go and uh, renounce to his culture and go into exile aboard the enterprise to continue his work or should he you know uh allow himself to die and 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 let others carry on and, and, and admit that he himself was not that important. And, and, and obviously this is a very difficult question because I've heard people who argue or who uh, uh, make a case for the, these life extension technologies. They always say something like, you know, imagine if Albert Einstein had lived 20 years more. You know, the things that we have, he could have... Uh, found, you know, maybe you know we could have, I don't know, anti anti gravity technology by now, something like that. You know, that it's always the same idea, you know, and, and uh, kind of like in a way, it's the same uh, moral dilemma uh, that people say. Well, imagine if, if if Mozart's parents had, you know, decided to have an abortion, and it, it's it's kind of like impossible to answer. It's very rhetorical, but it's 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 used. To try to make a case for or against a certain topic, so I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, it would be nice, obviously, to 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 live longer. But then again, you know, why do you need to those extra years? You know, what will you use them for? Some people say, well, you know. If I could live to be 200, I would go back to school, and I could go and, and travel the world. And then you could say, well, why don't you, aren't you doing it now? <laughs> yeah, why are yeah. you waiting for? You yeah. know? And, but but uh, people who 
there was something I read uh, recently uh, uh, in 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 the Mexican newspaper. The idea that that in Mexico we have ex effectively extended life the lifespan of 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 our uh, population by I don't know ten years or so. But the problem is that those years are really not good years for those people. They're, those years they are lived in, in infirmity. So they're also expanding, expanding the sickness. So if the idea is to just extend life, you know, just for the sake of it, I don't know if, if that's uh, the case. And I also think that uh, there's also some things that are said in, 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 in sci-fi stories, you know. One of the things that make life precious is that it has an end, you know. Things that are endless, they're not value as much as people as, as as things that that have a beginning and, and have an end. That's true. You know? yeah. uh, so th there are those things that we also have to take into consideration. I, I, I also imagine the idea that if the, if they manage to actually achieve uh, life extending technologies, you know, that maybe the only thing that would terminate. A, a person's life would be a, a, a sudden accident, then I imagine that world would be a society in which going out, uh, out <laughs> to the street for a walk would be considered, you know, a, a, a risk sport like uh, climbing Mount Everest. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's interesting in a sense because, we're talking about reincarnation, but it's like, what? Maybe we would disrupt the natural order of things unknowingly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's like all of a sudden there's some system in place <laughs> that that reincarnation is a part of, and it's like, what happens when the reincarnating stops because we figured out how not to die? Mm -hmm. Like, are we going to have the ETs come down and tell us then, like, look at you, you managed to get through the nuclear bomb thing, but you've got to die at some point. You can't. You you can't keep living forever. We're 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 running out of souls up here, man. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I mean, and uh, it will be interesting uh, because we're always talking about disclosure, right, in our circle. You know that. I imagine a world. Some people which, are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, some people they're trying to imagine a world in which we everybody knew that aliens exist. There was a, a movie that was released by Netflix earlier this year that that is called the discovery and it was also a different kind of disclosure it was a, a world in which life after death was conclusively proven by science oh wow and it was an interesting uh proposal you know talk, yeah, i talk talked about that. it with alex Securis because you know that he is very much advocating for you know the uh, life after death, the uh, science and all of that, near death experiences. He hated the the, the movie, by the way. It's fair, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, was yeah. kind of shocked by that, but I, I think that was it wasn't like the greatest movie ever. But it was I liked it because it, it it posed that idea. Okay, imagine imagine that we knew for certain that we die and we that we continue. You know, then what happens? You know. Uh, would would it be like everybody will say, oh well, fuck it, you know, I'm I'm going to go and eat uh, ten McDonald's. So what, <laughs> who who cares if I die of diabetes next year? You know, I know that I'm going to keep on going, or I I know that I'm going to 
go on into a next reincarnation or whatever. But I guess that that's not the point. I guess the point is uh, remember the remember uh, when there used to be arcades, video game arcades. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And and we went there, and we only have a, a small amount of of coins, you know, to go and waste uh, on the on the machines, right? So if because you knew that you know you put the coin and you only get like three lives, you know, in Pac-Man, yeah. right? But because you knew that you only get those, those three chances and then you're out, and and you also have a, you know, you you have like the, a quarter more if you miss that one. The game was much more exciting, you know, and you were really sweating and trying <laughs> yeah, to yeah. go and try to avoid the ghosts, right? And if you managed to beat the game, it was, yeah! <laughs> but yeah. nowadays, I have an Xbox, right? And I have video games that if, if I can, if I lose, I know that I can restart the game virtually endlessly. Yeah, yeah. And I have to tell you, man, it's not the same excitement. You know, it, it's kind of reassuring in a way. Like, sure, oh man, thank God that I saved that before I, I, I died because this game is tough. But at the same time, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm tired of it. I'll, I'll continue tomorrow. You know, with on the arcade, it was like, you know, it was so intense because of that scarcity. Yeah, it was like an experience. Yeah. And now it's like entertainment. It's a completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, people don't go out anymore anyway, so it's, <laughs> it's they're preparing us for that world. We're walking down the street as a ter- terrifying act. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's scary. Yeah, but I don't, I think if I had the choice, I would choose to just die rather than be put into a, because uh, uh, like you were talking about life extension. I guess that's okay. I'm not necessarily against that per se, but it's funny because yeah. it's like you were saying how they've extended the the lifespan of people. And then it catches back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's like that's why they have to have the robots to wipe the grandma's asses. So it's like, it's not to get conspiratorial, but it's like that, you know, it's kind of like The Matrix, like your movie The Matrix there that you love so much. It's like they, the people are kind of batteries in a way, the old people, just for the robots to, for the companies to keep making robots. It's like, all right, this is, you know. That's a good analogy, too. Yeah. It gets into like a creepy territory. But. I think if I had the choice, I, I was kind of talking about in the sense where they just put you in a computer. It's like, ah, what's the point of living forever in a computer? It's like, I think, I, I think I'd roll the dice. I think, I think I'd roll the dice and be like, you know what? Just unplug the computer. I want to see what happens next. I don't, I don't want to like hang around, you know, in a, in a computer. I want to. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any uh, illusions of living forever or, or to, you know, be 100. You know, I, I hope that I managed to stay, you know, autonomous for most of my life. You know what I mean? That I managed to care for myself, that, you know, I have still have my, my whatever mental faculties I still have right now that, that will be remembered to, uh, to, to remember my name, uh, whether I had be- breakfast or not, you know, that day, and that I managed to go, by, uh, to, go to the bathroom by myself. You know, if I had that, you know, then I'm golden. You know, I, I, I really, uh, I, I guess I'm not scared of that, but I, I, I am scared. I think we're all scared of that decay, right? Of that, you know, fading, fading out, because it, it, it is, it is the ultimate uh, stigma in our society. You know, to be old. Yeah, yeah, 
but as yeah, well, it's weird. As more, I guess it's probably more just like a personal perspective. It feels like as more people get old, it becomes cooler to be old. But maybe that's just because I'm yeah. getting old. <laughs> I, I, I agree, and, and it's weird because you know, like the fifties are like the new thirties. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and that's, I hope that's so. not what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It seems like there's a rebirth at forty now. Where yeah, before uh, it, was it will, it will be cool. Life. Yeah, it will be cool to to regain that respect for our elders. You know, the idea of yeah, you know, the old man in the village is is the wisest and is the the guy we really have to pay attention when he says something. You know, yeah. Because those are the guys who have you know there's a there's a difference between uh, uh, knowledge of, and wisdom and wisdom is knowledge that is paired with experience. And experience is only gained through life. Yeah, exactly. So it's I think I think that'll be a conundrum maybe other people will have to face, hopefully not us, where it's like, <laughs> do you want to be put in the computer or, you know, because I... What if we already are in a computer? That's the thing. I was thinking of that as I was, like, ranting, where in a sense where it's like... What if, yeah? What if in the what if we are? What if being in the computer is almost exact? Is like exactly like what it's like right now? Then 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 I then I, I don't know. Maybe I'd be torn. Maybe I'd be like, well, shit. If, if you well, just yeah yeah, it's like we invent reincarnation, but instead of like going instead of some kind of like uh, alchemical process, let's say for lack of a better term, we can't explain it. Some kind of scientific, uh, let's say reincarnation. Maybe, maybe we just invent our own where we're like, all right, now we put you in a computer and we start you over from, <laughs> from your birth. Who knows? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, one of the reasons why I chose the, the moniker reptile junkies, because, uh, in a way I, I discovered that I am a, something of a Gnostic, you know, I have a very Gnostic view about all of these things, right? And, and and the main idea about Gnosticism is that reality is an illusion. That, like I said, that this world is a tiny subset of a of a bigger reality. And what is the common thing that we keep hearing from uh, people who have experienced near death that that managed to came uh, come back from it? I mean, the, the, all the themes have kind of varied. It's, it's very, excuse me, very personal. And, and, and it's very, uh, you know, some people experience a tunnel of light. So some people um, experience uh, uh, seeing their body from above or seeing entities, uh, you know, around them. You know, people may, they, have, they might have known during their lifetime, you know, relatives that have passed away. Or the typical, you know, angelical in quotes beings that you know can transport them to the other side, uh, psychopomps. Those kind of themes tend to vary, but one commonality is that they, they, these people claim that the near-death experience feels more real than reality. It's like this reality is uh, a YouTube video in 720p. Whereas, you know, you flatline and go, you go to the other side and you experience, you know, for the 4K uh, video, you know, a 4K experience. Yeah. So that to me, in a way, tells me that, yeah, this is a simulation or this is a limited experience uh, in comparison 
to what expects us on the other side. Yeah, I agree with that. I think so. Yeah. It's a strange, strange world, man. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we're going through all these weird growing pains, but there's, I feel there's like some kind of, uh, there's some kind of like other intelligence out there that's, <laughs> that we're mm-hmm. interacting with on a limited basis that, mm-hmm. that I find very perplexing. And I know your, 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 your bailiwick is kind of UFOs, but, uh, I guess where are you, where are you at on that now, nowadays? What are, what are your thoughts on sort of like, cause I, I know, uh, it sounded, I know you wrote a piece and you got to interview Jacques Vallée. And for me, that was like a transformative experience. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just sort of wondering, like, what, what, where are your, where's your head at on this, on this UFO, uh, issue? Cause I think you're a lot like me in the sense where I, I think it's a lot more complex than just like aliens. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's like, uh, you know, what we're, we're saying right now. And I think that Vallée kind of like goes into the same thinking the, the, he, um, uh, accepted as much, or he, you know, acknowledged it as much uh, uh, when he was interviewed by George Knapp on Coast to Coast uh, uh, not too long ago. I think uh, two months ago, something like that. The idea that yeah, think, he thinks that uh, UFOs comes from another aspect of existence that is a, a higher or, not, or or a superior level. Than our own, you know. Then you can use view that as an ancient Gnostic and say, and yeah, well, maybe the the aliens are archons, you know, that they're they're kind of like demons that are coming here uh, to toy with us. Or you can go, you know, Matrix side and say, yeah, the aliens are agents, you know, they are, you know, they are maintaining the simulation, or you know, interacting with us from time to time because they have to deal with stuff. I think that those are all metaphors, I believe. I think there, there are, we, that it's us trying to grasp with something that is probably incomprehensible to our limited meat uh, brains that operate just in, in three or four dimensions and that are getting information only through five, maybe six very, very limited senses, you know. I think that everything we could come up with to try to explain the UFO phenomenon will only will always remain a very rough and crude approximation of the real deal, you know. And uh, it's kind of like uh, fish in a in a fish tank trying to understand the nature of the beings that care for them and you know that put the lights. On and uh, on and off, and and sprinkle food from time to time, you know. Yeah. And sometimes it snatches, it snatches one of them with a net, you know. And the fish are trying to say, "Oh my God, what happened to Bob?" You know, <laughs> oh, was snatched by the by the net. What what did he do? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's intriguing. Part of me wonders if we'll. I think there's almost a, I think there's like this weird uh, chance too where I still hold out hope sort of for like a simple answer in a sense where I think like the there's a chance that we could interact with aliens that could be, but there's something even bigger going on I guess is what I'm sure. thinking too you know where it's like there's a part of me that 
still holds a candle for the ETH and still kind of like thinks uh, imposing human nature on the aliens where it's like, of course they would come, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature to explore. So it's like, of course they, but, but I think there's some, I think what a lot of people who've looked at this for a long time kind of realize is like, there's an all of the above quality to this. That's far more complex than just the possibility that it's aliens. Like that's just one small facet of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if we, if we, trying to go from simple to complicated well maybe let's entertain the idea of of the ancient civilizations that did manage to attain uh, extremely advanced levels of technology you know they managed to build flying saucers and shit and maybe they they did something wrong they maybe they they bombed mars and blew up planet x whatever and they decided to go to another place or to hide themselves, you know, beneath the the the, the surface of the earth, you know, until things cool off for a, for a while. Yeah. But the the idea of thinking that those people will remain uh, Homo sapiens indefinitely is kind of ludicrous, you know. I mean, we're seeing it. We're seeing it uh, right now, you know. We are. We're talking about the singularity and all those things, but I think that all of these ideas and fears are um, an echo of something that may be happening right now to the human race, the idea that we are approaching some kind of like uh, crux in our evolution, you know, and from uh, from there on is, you know, it's totally different from what was uh, before that. It's kind of like going from a cockroach to a human being in like just one day, you know. And 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 from that uh, perspective, you know, the, the, the intelligence behind the UFO phenomenon will be always be incomprehensible, but maybe they weren't incomprehensible in their beginnings, they maybe they had the same beginnings as we had. You know, maybe maybe they began their origins as uh, beings that are constrained by time and space, but they managed to uh, grow out of it, attain nirvana, if you will. You know? yeah, and, yeah. and nirvana means you know just self-realization. It's wake. It's it's waking up. You know, the Buddha. Uh, people say, are you a, are you a god? And say, no, I ju- I'm just awake. And it doesn't mean that the Buddha was, you know, like uh, shining rays out of his forehead or couldn't or didn't need to, you know, eat. In fact, you know, the Buddha the Buddha died because of food poisoning, you know, interestingly <laughs> enough. But it, it, it was this level of consciousness that seems to be so far away of our normal waking awareness that it will be, yeah, yet like from going to the perception of, a, a, of an amoeba to, you know, someone who, you know, can see in infrared. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Remember, 
All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Yeah, well, it raises the question in a sense where it's like people are too. It's like the, maybe that's the challenge of, of you know we're talking about le- you got to learn your lessons here, like uh, when yep. you incarnate on the planet, like maybe because because the thing is is like. The very from the very beginning, it's like the whole thing is you just have to survive here, man, ma'am. You know, it's so yeah. it, it's like that's maybe that's the lesson in a sense where it's like you you're trying to figure this all out while also surviving. That's because <laughs> if you if you just like ponder all this, it it, it would be if, if everyone could could search for enlightenment, it would be great. You know what I mean? But it's like it, there's all these obstacles in the way. It says. Yeah. Those. Uh, those obstacles you are talking about, I think that uh, uh, Buddhist mystics will call them Maya, and you know the the the, the distraction from the world, you know, and and the world is full of of, of wonderful distractions, you know. There are Absolutely. all sorts of delights to be tasted, and you know, and to be experienced, and and obviously there's also a lot of, of pain and suffering, and there's a lot of of a holes out there that sure doesn't don't make it easy to try to, <laughs> yeah. to survive into this world as like you say you know but i i guess there are people who who manage to to realize wait a minute you know uh, this is just uh, a game or part of the game and maybe if you manage to to realize that it's maybe like maybe if it's after you play um, super mario enough times you know okay you know i know this is difficult but i i kind of like see the pattern and i i need to jump jump strike you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, if yeah. i do that i i get the, i get the, the, the power up and, I, and yeah. yeah i get the mushroom and i and i get the princess you know that's it, it, there's this this guy anthony peak you know he has this concept very yeah, i know of anthony about, peak yeah yeah, the daemon and the eidolon, and the idea is the eidolon is us, right? Is us experiencing experiencing this world, but we are only uh, avatars of this higher self that is also us, but is you know our higher selves, and and that is the daemon or the demon. Yeah. And the demon is in control of the eidolon, and from time to time the demon will kind of like give hints to the Eidolon, maybe because the daemon has played the game more than once, so that he knows, oh, if I go this way, I'm going to be, you know, killed by the machine gun that is in the in, in the video game. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. So I'll yeah, try yeah. to steer away this time, and that's why you sometimes do things that you understand why, you know, you suddenly have this rush of insight that seemingly comes from nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting. It's an interesting perspective on things. It's a very philosophical conversation we've had tonight. I, <laughs> yeah, we're going deep, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I hope I sound okay now. I, uh, I'm like half paranoid. Oh, you sound perfect. That. All right. Yeah, sound perfect. Um, it's, I, th- I think I'm getting a new phone this weekend, folks. It'll still be a Radio Shack phone if I can <laughs> find, a, <laughs> find a Radio Shack, but... Uh, it'll at least be a new phone. The Now of America is brought to you by... Radio Shack. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I almost don't want to, like, pivot from... You know what? Yeah, fuck the Tom DeLonge thing. Do you have anything to say about the Tom DeLonge thing? I kind of beat it to death last week. I, I just don't... You know, it, it, as you said before the show started, it's sort of this flavor of the month, but at the same time, it's 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 now taking on the, the taste of... Uh, of well, 
gum you've been chewing for a long time, it seems. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I mean, it's been going around for some time. You know, I guess the last year or two that he's been uh, hinting of his uh, encounters and his deals with people in the inside, quote-unquote. And I guess that is that has always been like the poison apple of ufology. When when someone attains a certain notoriety and then it's it's offered this poisoned apple and that that is kind of like it it it, it appeals to your ego, right? When they come, when they contacted you, it means that you are important, right? And ego, man, ego is something that that should be avoided. Uh, at all costs, and I think that it's it was the doom of someone like Bill Moore, you know, when he was contacted by these people in the in the intelligence world after after he published this book with Charles Berlitz about Roswell, and then someone called him and said, I, "We think that you are the only one who knows what he's talking about in this field," and and Moore was very intelligent, and but he was also you know, someone that had a big ego, right? Like a lot of intelligent people uh, tend to be. And, and that's how they hooked him. And that's how he, he agreed on the, on that Faustian pact of, okay, you know, we are going to give you inside information about what the government knows about UFOs. And sometimes we're going to also give you uh, disinformation. And it's going to be your work to try to figure out and discern which is which. And at the same time, if, we, if you want us to keep contacting you, you have to do our dirty work, which means from time to time, uh, write reports about what people in your circles are doing, and also feeding people those people in your circles this information. You know, and that's what that was the case of Bill Moore with Paul Benowitz. And at first, I thought that Tom DeLong was going to be the second Paul Benowitz, but nowadays I feel that he's going to be more of a mixture between Bill Moore and someone like Stephen Greer, especially after his uh, announcement of this uh, To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, that, uh, you know, the idea that, yeah, we're going to build a flying saucer and it's going to take you take us only 10 years and a billion dollars, but we need your money. Right. And it was like, Mm, okay, you want my money? What do you have to show me? You know, and it was back then. It was okay. A bunch of guys who worked in government and said, "Yeah, UFOs, UFOs are totally real, man." You know what? We've had those kind of insiders before. Come, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Come out and say, "Yeah, UFOs are real, and the government is interesting, interesting in them." That is not enough. To, to to make a corporation, and that is that is not a product you can yeah, sell. Yeah, yeah. My it's, humble opinion. It's like diminishing returns in a sense, because uh, I mean, how many? I'd like to I'd like someone out there to make a list of like all of the government insiders that have. I mean, it's got to be in the hundreds, probably. It's got to be over a hundred. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I remember when it was like scandalous or something, where it was like, like one guy, a guy could get a book out of that kind of thing. Like, uh, what was the uh, the day after Roswell guy? 
You know, now it's like government. Now you don't even know these government insiders by name or anything because there's yeah, so many. Yeah, I remember that there was this guy. What was his name? Jay something. This was he used to be in the FBI, right? And he was kind of a, a liaison between the FBI and Hollywood. And I, I guess he, uh, you know, make uh, news like four or five years ago when he said, "Yeah, I, I was in this." Uh, Office and it was uh, and, and I looked into this uh, box that said Roswell, <laughs> and I saw all this evidence, you know, about about the bodies and about the crash and all of that. And instead of oh my God, this is so so huge, it was like meh, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like it, it, theoretically that's the kind of thing we dreamed about, and then it happens, and it's like no one really it didn't change the world. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so. I, I I I guess that it's this kind of thing that uh, people, some people were were waiting for disclosure, you know, like ten, twenty years ago. I was one of them, you know. I have, yeah, I have to admit it. For sure, yeah. You know, I mean, but you learn, Tim. I mean, you learn about you have to, you have to learn about false promises. I remember, I was twenty twenty five years ago. I was still in in. It was the '90s, right? So it was back back when we still have these had this um, huge UFO wave over Mexico and all of that. And I remember that I went to this uh, UFO conference. You know, there was a few people that uh, make the news back in those ways. It was Pedro Ferriz. I don't think Mausan was there. No, definitely not. But there was a guy who used to appear in the, in the same TV programs as Mausan. He claimed to be a contactee, and at one point he wanted he he demanded a microphone because he said that he had a message to deliver, you know, from from the aliens that he said he got. He was authorized to say that the aliens would make a huge appearance on the skies of Mexico on exactly uh, New Year's Eve of that year, you know, and we were like in, in late November or early December, right? So it was really very close. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's finally going to happen. <laughs> and I remember that night, you know, when we went, my family went to, to the house of one of my uncles where we had this huge uh, New Year's party, you know, with all of my relatives in Mexico, but where was I? I was on the rooftop of that house, trying to finally catch my first, you know, UFO sighting, freezing my ass off, but determined, you know, to 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 finally see it. And and I remember my my mother saying, "Aren't you going to come down?" I was like, "No, I need to stay here. You know, I need to I need to steal my resolve." You know, and finally, you know, it was two or three in the morning, and my parents say, "Yeah, we're gonna go. If you want to stay here, you know, ask your uncles, you know, so you can, you know, dream. You you can go and sleep in one of their couches or something." I was like, "No, let's go." So, so bottom line is, there's been promises of you know arrival of aliens of the Space Brothers, and there's been promise of disclosure, like. Forever. I mean, I remember when Stephen Bassett used to still say that Obama was going to be the disclosure president. Oh, that yeah. he was saying, oh, no, no, just like the day before 
he, he walks out of the White House, he's going to say, oh, by the way, you aliens, aliens are real, you know, drop <laughs> yeah, the mic yeah, and yeah. run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it makes you wonder if, like, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but it makes you wonder in a sense because uh, there seem to be, like, uh, again, we use sort of the zeitgeist idea, but it's like the – there's a real push for disclosure last year, but it all hinged on Hillary Clinton. And now it almost, it almost makes you wonder if, like, the disclosure uh, hive mind is is having, like, an existential crisis. And it's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like someone going through a middle age crisis. They wind up with Tom DeLonge. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not what's going on with the disclosure thing where it's like, okay, well, I, our big plan for the government it didn't work out, so now let's let's pivot to uh, to a celebrity view, the one that will be able to do it for us. I kind of suspect, and I'm sure you are suspecting it too, Tim, that those hopes about official government disclosure are going to be revived this very week. And it's going to happen oh, by JFK. Thursday. Yeah, because of the JFK files, because of the, the all this hoopla that Trump, well, he didn't allow the files to be released, but I, I, he didn't obstruct it. Either, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so I guess uh, it, that that's going to be interesting. You know, and everybody who has managed those files say there are not really a lot of bombs or really incendiary material for conspiracy theorists, but there are still a lot of interesting things for people who do their do homework and, and, and really connect the dots. That's what for I example, think, because, yeah, I've heard the same thing, where it's like the people that know what's in them, they're like, there's no smoking gun, but it's like, there's no way, uh, I find it hard to believe, I hope, I guess, that the, the people who say that, they're like, no, I'm hoping that they're like, that, that they they pale in comparison to the JFK obsessives, who will, who will, who will find some nugget in there that's like, oh, shit, I found the, the dot, that connects the whole thing that I, you know, it, that's kind of the hope, right? But who knows? Yeah, and by the way, uh, I remember like two days ago, uh, reading on Facebook someone uh, the, uh, sharing a post by none other than Yuri Keller, right? Yeah, I think I saw that. I remember a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah, and, and this famous or infamous psychic or charlatan, according to where you stand, uh, where you stand, is that uh, he said that he suspected that with this new release of information, his true role in the JFK case was going to be finally released and that it will be shown that he was working for the CIA as being an undercover agent in Mexico. And I was reading that like, what? what? Yeah. I, mean, I know that Geller was somehow involved with, with people in high places, places down here in Mexico. I think that he befriended one of the presidents here, I think was Echeverria, and I also, I think even think that he became the lover of one of the president's wives. Oh my God! Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that he promised them that he will find oil wells for them, you know, for our uh, national oil industry, Pemex, using his quote-unquote powers. Wow! And, I've never heard of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what they did is they would, you know, put him on a plane. And you know, and they will be flying around places where there might be oil deposits, and he will just like wave his hand, and they put an X on a map and say, "Yeah, drill here." 
And I don't know if it, uh, if if people in my country were so gullible. Uh, uh, some, sometimes I suspected, but they totally be- believed him, and they were very happy with him. And uh, he brags that the, one of the presidents of Mexico, either Echeverria or, or Jose López Portillo, the guy who came after him, he that they gave him the Mexican citizenship, which is really very unheard of. You know, I mean, uh, becoming a citizen of Mexico is not as easy as becoming a, a citizen of the United States. You know, and so there is this this connection with Yuri Geller and, and Mexico and the CIA that he thinks Geller thinks that is going to be released revealed with this new release of information. Oh, wow. But I don't know if that is true or not, but one thing for certain team is that I think that the people who are interested in, in the whole JFK uh, case should pay more attention to what transpired in Mexico back in those days. You know, Remember, in, even in, the, in, in Oliver Stone's movie, there was just a, a single, like, two, five seconds in the movie where, where, where they show uh, a photo uh, and one of... Uh, the, the the assistance of these uh, the guy who who put the the people who were in, allegedly involved with the murder Garrison you know one of Garrison's assistants saying you yeah, know the CIA is telling us that this man and they show a picture is was Oswald in Mexico so, like trying to make the argument that that it, it was a double that it was not the real Oswald but some people are saying no that. Oswald did come to Mexico, and the reason that why he came is because he wanted to get in contact with uh, uh, agents from the Cuban government, and apparently he did so, and apparently he told them that he was going to murder the president. Oh my God, really? Yeah, and 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 the Cubans, you know, they didn't say anything. Like we don't know if they returned to Cuba to alert Castro. And we don't know what Castro did with that information, whether he alerted, you know, his Russian allies or not. You know, we certainly, we certainly probably, he didn't probably alert, uh, you know, the American authorities, you know, but probably wasn't in his best interest, although he could have, you know, maybe he would say, you know, hey, this is a, like a branch of goodwill, you know, maybe if he had done so, uh, and someone had also, uh, tried to do something about it, maybe, uh, you know, Kennedy would have lifted the embargo. Yeah, it makes you wonder in a sense, like, maybe the... Because the embargo always seemed kind of illogical to have lasted so long. So, so oh, yeah. maybe maybe it was like this unspoken thing where it's like, you knew this was going to happen and you didn't do anything about it. Or at least, at least there's some kind of, like, there's some kind of cloud of suspicion almost that always seemed to hang over... Hang over uh, the island there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I remember reading this uh, interview between uh, um, a reporter and Fidel Castro, and apparently this is a guy that Castro liked a lot. So uh, he had interviewed Castro on numerous occasions. Like he was one of his favorite reporters, right, right. and in one of his latest interviews, maybe his last interview with him. Uh, the reporter asked him about Kennedy. And Castro said that, you know, even though all the problems with the Bay of Peaks, that he respected Kennedy 
as a as a person, you know, as an individual. And he kind of like seemed obsessed with the death of Kennedy because the next day, you know, or or uh, or, or the day when they kind of like uh, continue the interview, Castro uh, mentioned Kennedy and his and his assassination once again, you know, kind of like uh, out of the blue. Which kind of like make, makes you wonder how much did Castro really know about the assassination plot? One would think he had to know a lot, or mm-hmm. at least a lot more than you and I know. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if that kind of information comes out. I mean, who knows? I, there's got to be some stuff in, the, in there that's very interesting. You know what I'm saying? It's not just like 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 shitty paperwork. <laughs> I assume. So, and I believe one of the one of the sort of things that one of the big things is is the is the file on Oswald in Mexico. I could have sworn I heard that, but I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that people who are interested into this sort of stuff should pay more attention into that. It's probably one of the things that we will uh, hear more about in the coming weeks. You know, once they release the files and you know people start to really get into that and then probably you know the, the 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 real serious investigators will obviously take a while to 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 digest right all of it you know because i think there are thousands and thousands of pages you know so obviously you know amateurs will will get tired of it soon enough but th- those who really know what they're doing you know they will take the one and they'll start to to release uh, you know the, the the important or the interesting bits, you know, uh, into the into the internet, and that's when we will uh, start to maybe know more. What I remember that some people say that maybe one of the reasons why Trump decided to not block the release of the files is because he wanted to see uh, if Ted Cruz's father <laughs> was actually involved. <laughs> he was one of the assassins. Oh my God. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it'll be it's it'll be kind of like an interesting as you said, if we talk about disclosure, it'd be kind it would be kind of a, it's a, it's probably like the closest to sort of like a faux disclosure we'll ever see. We may see, you know, in a sense because I it'll be interesting to me, I think, and I read this in an article about sort of what may happen when these things get released. Kind of what you said where there's so much stuff that it's hard, it's going to be like impossible really for the media to to uh, digest it right away, but at the same time, they're going to be on such pressure to get it out there that uh, they'll sort of spin some narratives out of these files right away. And it'll be interesting yeah. to see what those narratives are. And one would assume that they don't necessarily come from like some intern who is reading all the files as soon as they get released, but it's like maybe someone on the inside is like, make sure you check out this specific, specific file that mentions Ted Cruz's father, or something, you know, or something <laughs> like that. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I feel like this is going to be, I wouldn't say orchestrated, but I think like there'll be a certain sort of like, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Let's put it that way. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to like come out, all, the thing's going to come out and the, the media's going to be like, okay, this proves that he was, there was a conspiracy. You know what I mean? So if anything, it's going to be the opposite. You know, they're going to be like, this is the, this was it. This was the Holy Grail. You got it. And now it, you know, <laughs> you've had three hours to look at it. So, all right. Guess you didn't get. Guess this. Guess it didn't solve the mystery. You know. So yeah. it's like three hours. What are you talking about? We're gonna need months to look at this stuff. But that'll be the thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I remember that 
when we uh, team went to last year to Dallas, you know, yeah, we went yeah. to, to to the place where all of this happened. It, it, to me, was a really, really, really interesting experience. I never, I never thought that I would be able to to actually visit the place. And and then we went to the book depository, and and it gave me some perspective. I I mean, I was a guy who watched uh, the JFK movie by Oliver Stone like, I don't know, 10, 20 times, you know, back and to the left, back and to the left. And once we went there, I it changed my perspective in the sense that, you know, yeah, there, there's probably, there was obviously a conspiracy. I don't think that Oswald acted alone, but I, I, I'm... I really suspect that he was involved in it. He wasn't just a patsy. I think that he was... I, I think he was there uh, on top of that book depository, and and he did fire uh, that that rifle, you know. And I don't know if he managed to hit uh, Kennedy or not. And and also, I think that there probably were other people in place. I mean, I remember being there, and I say it's it's not that impossible of, of a shot. I think. I mean, when you see it in in, in the movies and you see it uh, from outside. And then you go and visit the place and see how you know how small you it is. Yeah. You know, it gives it it gives you another sense and the, the idea that yeah, it could have it could have been done, and maybe even you know the same the th- the same thing with the back and to the left, you know, uh, the idea that okay the the the, the hit the 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 final hit came from you know in front Kennedy right, but you see the the the, the the magnifications of the Sapruder film, and you start to question it because you see how the, the, the I don't want to get too graphic here, but the result of the impact and see how uh, the, the president's head it's opened like a cantaloupe, and then the the jerky movement to the back. I don't know if some people have have considered the possibility that it was the result of President Kennedy wearing a corset. You know, I think I don't think that many people realized he was such a sick, sick, feeble man. He suffered for terrible, from a terrible back pain. Yeah. And he all when he went to public uh, appearances, he was used, always using a back corset because that's the only way that he could stand being, you know, uh, standing for so long. And and I think that maybe having something stiff. You know, beneath his uh, suit and his and his shirt, maybe that could account for that weird jerking movement instead of the impact from in front. But having said that, you know, obviously there are things about the way that it was presented in the you know uh, what's the name of that uh, the invest- the official investigation. Oh, the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission. Yeah, I mean things like. Uh, the pristine bullet that was found, you know, next to the president in the hospital. That was like, get out of here, you know. That bullet couldn't have possibly have entered uh, the body of a human being and left out of it in such a pristine condition. That's just, just impossible. Right, right. Well, it makes you think. I mean, yeah, I think there were definitely 
the whole idea that he was just hanging around on his own doing this is like the part that's unbelievable. I think to most yeah, people. The fact, but the fact, yeah, the fact that, that could he have been in on it? Could he, like the idea that he was just some dude with <laughs> who happened. Like he was clearly somehow mixed up in some trouble that day. Let's put it, like let's put it that way. You know, yeah. like clearly he was clearly he was uh, ha- had some kind of bad bad ideas. My my suspicion team is that he was a double agent. That he. Uh, was left. He was led to uh, defect to Russia because he was going to inform the government or, or the CIA about the Russians, and then he was allowed to return to the, the United States because of, of that double double agent work. You know, that's the only explanation. Otherwise, he should have gone into jail for being a traitor right, right. i've heard that before too where it's like there's no way yeah yeah he he renounced his citizenship and everything he like they shouldn't yeah, so, have, they shouldn't have just let him come back and just go go back and move to texas or whatever so one of the things that i probably were probably going to hear about it about team in the, in, in the next few months and I, I've, also, I've already read about it is that when people investigate uh oswald trip Oswald's trip into Mexico, that they're going to learn that the Mexican authorities informed the Americans of the fact that Oswald was, uh, you know, meeting Cuban agents. You know, that because uh, the Mexican government was well aware of his, of, of, of his being here and, and, and his meetings, and, you know, Mexican agents were, were on his tail, and Mexican being Mexico being an ally of the United States, you know they reported that to someone there, and I think that what's going to transpire is that the CIA didn't inform the FBI about just how severe this was, you know, the fact that this radical was meeting with Cuban agents. They didn't want to alert them of the fact that they knew of Oswald because he, he was one of their double agents, because they didn't want to uh, let the FBI and other agencies know about all of that. So, in other words, what we're going to really uncover, my suspicion, about this conspiracy is that it was more of a conspiracy of silence because of this, you know, uh, unwillingness to cooperate between different factions of the of the U.S. government, and this is also my stance with things like 9/11. That my opinion is that with 9/11 it was more of a showing that the CIA doesn't really want to cooperate with the FBI, and the FBI doesn't want to cooperate with the Air Force, and the Air Force doesn't want to cooperate with the military. You know, conspiracy theorists tend to to think of the government as as this monolithic entity. Right, you know, right. It's actually like very know, faction. Uh, exactly. Oriented. Everybody is in their clique and everybody is acting on their best interest. And the, and the, and the Air Force wants, wants to get the big contract, you know? Yeah. For, for, their, for their new uh, weapon. And the CIA is the ones, the ones to want to have the biggest project instead of the NSA. So, I think that is what's going to happen with JFK, too, that we're going to learn that the CIA didn't want to share what they knew about Oswald with the FBI and other authorities, and that's why, you know, 
then happened, it happened what it happened, and they want to cover it up. Interesting. Well, we'll see. The crazy part, though, is like it's the old idea of like, well, if they announce the UFOs are real, like it doesn't change the way, uh, it doesn't change the price of bread. So it's like well, it'll be interesting to see. It'll matter to you and me, but it's like I think it. I I, I think that people. It, it, it'll be interesting to see how people react. I guess is the point uh, is, is is what I'm sort of putting out there. You know, where it's like, how will they even care? Will it be like so long ago that, uh, you know, or will like open their eyes to something that they? Because I mean, there's already sort of this pushback again. I think I think that like part of the reason why this is getting released now is because there's this factional war going on with like the intelligence agencies in general. So it's like if something will embarrass them. Uh, than than the let's say the federal government's more the president's more than happy to do that. So who knows? You know this may this may turn out to be even bigger in a sense where it could be like scandalous, and then that, it, could get, it could get spun that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, one of the reason one of the things that I've heard about DeLong is that the the reason why why he's being groomed or he's being contacted by these people in the in the intelligence world is because it's it's one avenue to try to once again, attain uh, respectability by the, the public. You know, nowadays uh, everybody despises the CIA. You know, they, they think that the CIA is, is, is watching them every every time they're jerking off in front of their laptop. You know, <laughs> watching porn. You know, and and they're they're reading all of their their dirty emails. You know, and they're keeping all of that in a vault. In, in, in Nevada or actually in Utah, it's where they, they keep all, all these records. But some people have said that the long is being used in order to to try to to show the the the, the intelligence world as acting up in, in the public's best best interest because. You know, they they were keeping this secret for a reason, right? And then the whole idea with the long actually is because you know they discover nasty things about the aliens and that they're not really that good and all of that. I don't know, but one thing's for certain, team, is that uh, JFK is not UFOs. People may oh, yeah, read sure, yeah. may read pages, you know, words written on a page that mentions names and dates and locations and with the JFK they could say okay this is proof enough that so and so was involved or that so and so knew about x and that x and y yeah but with UFOs if you give me a piece of paper that said yeah there was a landing on December 21st um, 1957 that to me is not enough and it shouldn't be to anyone so that's the problem with Tom DeLonge right now. I mean, they, they have, he had a group of people going in front of a video with no one to refute or, or to ask them questions and saying, yeah, UFOs are real. Dude, so what? I mean, give me evidence. A Leslie King uh, on his Facebook page that's saying, look, folks, this is as close as, as, as disclosure as we have been in a long, long time. And I remember tweeting something to Leslie saying, "Sorry, Leslie, but in a post in a post fact world, it, you know, saying that is not enough. You have to show evidence. Right. And in the in the case of 
utopic UFO disclosure, I don't know what, even what kind of evidence you could show that would convince people. What, it would have to be like it, it would have to be it would have to be like a live and in living color uh, piece of evidence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even documents are like worthless now. So it's documents are worthless. Photos and videos. Uh, photographs are, are bo- worthless. I mean, uh, in the we last just, we week, we established that insiders are really kind of worthless at this point. So it's you know, unless it's like the unless it's like Jimmy Carter, even then they'd be like, oh, he's got dementia. Or you know what I mean? It's like yeah. they, they just, nothing. Nothing's good enough, even in that realm. It seems. Even if look, even if tomorrow Donald Trump went and tweeted, yeah, UFOs are real, and I've seen them. You know, they showed me the files. Half of America and half of the world will not believe him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And 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 we still wouldn't know anything. That's the real, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like even if they tell us <laughs> the quest for them to. It's like a, it's like who's on cheat or something, you know. It's like the quest for them to tell us they're real doesn't solve any of the mysteries. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's just it just sort of establishes that there's a game, and we know there's a game. The game is mm-hmm. is what are the fucking UFOs? <laughs> yeah, but it's, 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 the reality of UFOs uh, to us team is like stage one of this whole wacky journey, right? Right. When right. We emba- embarked, and we, you know. Learn and read and came to a conclusion, you know, informal conclusion. Uh, I, I would care to to say that hey, there is something to all of this. You know, this is this is something that has legs, right? Probably most people don't reach that far, but that's stage one in this wacky journey. Right, and, and then. You embarked in stage two with kind of like a, like a, uh, kind of pointless in the sense that we you start to wonder well where do they come from you know yeah and most of the time you say well co- of course they come from other planets right you know they come from another star system another galaxy and and then you enter the the e- ETH Hall of Mirrors. Right, right, right. Right? And m- most people never get out of it, you know, because it's kind of like a maze, you know, with a Pretty lot much, of Pretty much, yeah. That's, that's what they're keeping the general public in, in the ETH yeah, exactly. Hall of Mirrors. Uh, and then the idea is that some t- one way to get out of that Hall of Mirrors, you know, is by stop, stopping to question where they come from and started to, to make more interesting to questions like, what are they doing here? And that is something that Valet teaches us in his, in his books, in Passport to Magonia. It's like, let's stop, uh, you know, battling or arguing about whether UFOs come from this planet or that other star. And let's start to, to pay attention what of the influence UF, the UFO phenomenon has in our culture. Mm. You know, and that's the whole basis of Passport to Magonia and the idea of, of you know, the whole the showing how this phenomenon has evidence of being with us through the folklore we have about, you know, the Celtic myths, the the the, 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 the faith in fa- 
prairies in Ireland and, 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 and Britain, and also in other places, you know, Greece, even here in Mexico. Every uh, ancient culture has their own myths about encountering non-human entities, you know, how, how we deal with them and how they interact with us and all of that. So, so he starts to pay attention to that. And if you go into the same path, then you start to open yourself to other avenues. And then you, you know, you realize, that, you know, this hall, of, this ETH hall of mirrors is kind of boring. You know, it's, it's kind of small too. Let's go into more interesting avenues and then you start to go into the idea that well you know ufos may be interdimensional or maybe they're time travelers and the whole point of that start to expanding your horizons into more more, more and more interesting ideas and, and and it's kind of like a spiritual path in a way i mean mike leland who was one of my um uh, the, col the collaborators in, in UFOs reframing the debate, uh, he once wrote in his blog that, you know, the UFO path that you start with light in the sky and sooner or later, if you do the work well enough, you start to wonder about God. You know, it's kind of inevitable in a way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I agree. I think I think a lot of the circles that we travel, we travel in a lot of the same circles, and that's kind of like, yeah. Once you've you reach an endpoint on the ETH, where yeah. you, you, you've beaten it into the ground. Now, how, you, how you, we've we've crossed over the Rubicon to the live uh, off the live show. Can we talk for a little while longer? Uh, sure, sure. All right. I, I wore out poor Aaron Glees last week. I felt like a dick, so I <laughs> I, I push it. How's the sound now? We have, am I coming in Perfect. all right? All right. Yeah. Well, hopefully, folks listening, I'll try and make sure it sounds okay relatively uh, on that first part. But uh, yeah, this is this is a deeply much. I really had no notes when we came into this conversation, so it's like I really enjoy talking to you because we it gets into this like sort of philosophical realm that um, that I didn't anticipate really. <laughs> But it's good. As I said, I, I mean, I, I, I must have sensed it because as I was introducing you, you know, I mentioned this sort of like there's a wisdom here of uh, of pondering these big questions. Because in a way, it's like even like you were saying, like at some point asking like uh, you, you move on from like are they real or not? It's like uh, whatever is real, whatever. It, 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 there's legs yeah. to it. Like you said, there's legs to it. So you move past that. And then the next thing is like where do they come from? It's like at some point you have to move past that question. Because it's like where they come from really doesn't doesn't answer too much either, in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like oh, so they come from Venus. So what? <laughs> like, like what, again? It's like what you said. What are, what the fuck are they doing here? Like why are they, why are they coming here? What 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 is going on? You know, or why is this why is this in, intelligence interacting with us? You know, it could uh, it might be a completely terrestrial phenomenon, as crazy as, as it sounds. Yeah. Uh, it could totally be, you know. I mean, Els Miles Lewis, you know, one of the contributors of UFOs reframing the debate, you know, uh, in, in his essay entertains partially the idea that maybe the UFO phenomenon is some kind of a manifestation of a Gaia consciousness. In other ways, it's, uh, you know, a superhuman or supernatural uh, consciousness that emanates from the planet itself, you know, getting to the idea that, well, okay, so why, why, what if a planet is as conscious 
as we are. It's just that we just don't realize the same way that maybe uh, a, a cell that is part of our, of, our, of our body doesn't realize if it was conscious that it is part of a larger, a larger whole. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like a system itself has like a good... Yeah. You know, it's like it's not, not necessarily have a, as a conscious, but it's living. You know, even mm-hmm. like like a, like a like a like a motor is, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is, is like alive in a sense. Cause, you know, when your car breaks down, the the engine's dead. You know, it's the like same mm-hmm. kind of idea. Yeah, I mean, and, and we can talk about you know some people uh, that uh, discusses these sort of things. They arrive to some kind of like pan psychism or or. Uh, the idea that everything is kind of like infused with consciousness in a way, you know, yeah. that consciousness pe- permeates everything in the universe, that consciousness is the basis of reality. But getting back to the Gaia thing, that that, that makes sense in, in 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 a way for explaining not not only uh, UFO sightings, you know, and, and, and all those. Uh, uh, Space brothers who were warning us about, you know, they don't play with matches, folks. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know those, those, don't play with those uh, nuclear matches because you are going to burn down the whole house. You know, it would make sense if, if, if the planet is trying to kind of resist, resisting our attempts to destroy it. You know, and in the same way to try to coax us to leave the nest once and for all and venture into the stars, and that's why it chooses to show itself uh, in the way of, of technology we can try we kind of like understand you know even though it's supposedly more advanced than us but it's it, it is it's it, it is interesting yeah that uh, those flying saucers in the 50s and 60s you know they looked like you know star trek in the 1960s you know right, there, exactly. there was all these dials and and and, and buttons and, and 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 lights and nowadays you see the reboot of Star Trek right now, the Star Trek Discovery, and you see the new uh, ship, and it is is far more futuristic than the original Star Trek, you know? So now, obviously, when people go into, you know, the the flying saucer, when they get abducted, they probably see a more futuristic version of an iPad, you know? Now yeah, in yeah. the hands of a Nordic alien or something like that, and also, you know, there are also the Marian apparitions. You know, the the, the apparitions of of, of what uh, the witnesses interpret as the Virgin Mary. You know, and and they happen uh, in places that where uh, pe- people in ancient times used to worship, uh, you know, the the goddess, you know, Mother Nature. You know, and, and and they used to put altars there, and it's always the same kind of places. You know, there are like uh, caves or places where there's running water. You know, like yeah, uh, running yeah. beneath it. You know, so we go now into the idea of of the dragon lines, of the ley lines, of these lines of energy that are traver- traversing the whole of the planet, kind of like uh, the the an energy uh, circulatory system. For, for the world, and the idea of a, of a Gaia consciousness makes sense in that way. Obviously, like everything in the UFO phenomenon, I don't think there is a, a, a one uh, theory that can connect all of the dots. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. There, there are things that the Gaia theory uh, explains.
things really well, but there are other things that it may not. You know. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, I've, I've likened this to sort of like weather and/or clouds in a sense, where it's mm-hmm, like there's mm-hmm. all different types and shapes and, and formations of clouds, but they're all part of some kind of same system. So it's yep. like you know, and 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 back in the day, they used to look up at them and not know how the hell they were made or what <laughs> what what they you know what their nature was at all. You know. Cool. And now we can affect the clouds in a way, you know, and 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 we have things in in the plains and that that can create contrails, right? And people say, oh my God, what are those? And and the, the people reach different conclusions about those. But it, 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 what I'm saying that we we may also be influencing the phenomenon in a way, right? It may be reacting to us. Oh yeah, for sure. And and to our uh, our civilization. I definitely think it is. I think it has to be. You know, almost in a sense where, you know, you talk about like the observer effect where it's like it needs us as much as we need it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, but what, what it needs, who knows, you know? But I think, I think, I think, yeah, I don't think we'll ever really know the answer to these like in, intense philosophical type, <laughs> type, you know, like is the earth conscious or like a living thing? You know what I mean? Like, we'll, We'll someday learn them maybe in the next in the next uh, realm, but it's mm-hmm. like. But I think the point is to. It, it, we talked about this Buddha thing earlier. It's like. Uh, I think the point is to ask these questions. You know. Yeah. I think yeah. that's why a lot of us sort of gravitate toward each other and have this this community in a sense where it's like we're we're the only people asking these like these really sort of deep questions when everyone else is like wrapped up with the Kardashians and shit. <laughs> I think it's part of uh, growing old, team. You know, I mean, uh, I think that you, when you are younger, uh, you really think that you are going to get all the answers, you know, eventually. And yeah. then, you know, part part of maturity is to learn that it's okay if you you never actually go and figure and figure shit out. You know, that's it's okay to to not have everything answered for you know i mean obviously it's nice if if you manage to something a few things down you know i mean hey i'm all up all, all up for you know someone like your friend adam davis discovering some weird uh undiscovered ape you know in, oh, yeah, in some sure. jungle out there you know that that will be really really cool and i'm really will be really will be content if if someone discovered some really ancient remain of a very advanced uh, city uh, in some you know desert or maybe uh, uh, underwater you know maybe like in the shores of Cuba or whatever you know and so in sh- look you know these guys these guys were really really advanced and they were here like forty thousand years old or fifty thousand years old you know. And a few other things, you know. That I think that one of the things that probably I'm rooting for more than than disclosure, definitely, <laughs> is, <laughs> is to that that uh, our our science could confirm that uh, consciousness is non-local, right? That is not uh, constrained or is not uh, created by the brain. To me, that that is will be far more important than Tom DeLong showing us, you know, some weird piece of metal saying, "Yeah, look, this came from the Roswell crash," because <laughs> yeah, yeah. because the the non-locality of consciousness 
opens up a whole new uh, can of worms, you know, because it it it, it will make us think about uh, phenomena and mysteries like precognition and synchronicities, you know, and even reincarnation and, and telepathy and all yeah. of that, you know, and 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 and. Uh, uh, prophetic dreams and all of that, and uh, that is one of the aspects that I, I also think that Tom DeLonge and his ilk are not uh, talking about. I mean, it was too nuts and bolts, you know. The idea, yeah, let's only focus on the technology. Well, you know, cool. You want to build a, a vacuum energy toroidal electromagnetic uh, vessel <laughs> that can traverse the earth in 1.5 milliseconds good for you bro but i want to know about whether i can you know uh, with my consciousness connect with the other part of the universe or, we, or or can connect with my ancestor who lived uh, you know 200 or 5000 years ago or maybe if i can connect with my descendants in the far far future or maybe even better if another aspect of the multiverse. You know, what about that? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I wonder if they... You talked about earlier this movie that was uh, about... They figured out what happens after life after death. One of my favorite sort of, like, thought experiments was was sort of that idea when talking to Rosemary Ellen Galley on the show, where it was like, maybe the government... Maybe, you know... Maybe this UFO thing is just kind of a big distraction in a way from, like, the real the real meat of it all where it's like you can yeah. you are you are gods like you you everyone yeah. everyone has these abilities but we don't want you to <laughs> know that you can access them you know yeah, that's a, that's a very good point i mean maybe yeah maybe the ufo phenomenon it's just meant to nudge us in the right direction from time to time, you know. They're trying to say, you know, you monkeys, look over here, you know. Right. <laughs> but what we are like the dog that is looking at the uh, the finger, but the finger is po- pointing at something. Well, yeah, now the dog is looking at the finger because it's yeah, yeah, the yeah. Yeah, look over there, my <laughs> dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's. I mean, this is why we we chase after these things, man, because it's like. There's there's something going on, you know. There's something yeah. going on, and it's fascinating. And it's it, it, I think like as you get closer to to, to trying to like as you dig de- as you get deeper into it, it just becomes really uh, enveloping in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. But you got yeah. a good head on your shoulders because you're not like one of these crazy people. That's like uh, some people go off the deep end. I feel <laughs> I feel bad for them, you know. It's like you have to have one foot in reality still, unfortunately, because it's like. We, we're in the minority of people who are looking at this like, you know, as a series of dots or whatever. Well, I think that uh, there's always that danger for sure. You know, the the, the UFO is a slippery slope. You know, all all of these topics are like, uh, you know, the proverbial uh, uh, rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, and, and and sometimes you do can get too deep. And you know you need to have some kind of like uh, a lifeline, you know, to try to to see. Okay, you know, the, go back. You know, you have spelunking, you have spelunked uh, enough. Now it's time to go and, and and do other stuff because there are there are other aspects of life that one shouldn't uh, 
shouldn't miss out, you know. Maybe the, maybe that's one of the reasons why, you know, these mysteries are so elusive, but because they don't want us to get so obsessed with them, you know. There are other aspects of life that one should explore. And, and there you have also to keep you grounded by way of, Arming yourself with a group, a, a good group of, of of you know peers and and colleagues that can tell you tell hey man you know I think that you're losing it I think that you know, <laughs> you're, you're really talking you're really talking bullshit here you know I mean what where's your evidence for this you know I mean yeah you you think that the, the, the long uh, is actually a secret reptilian <laughs> oh god <laughs> that, that, something like that but the, okay so are you sure about that? You know, or, or maybe maybe you've been, you know, looking at those uh, uh, blacked out, uh, you know, documents for too long. You know, maybe you should go <laughs> and get, get some air and get go get a a, a, a beer yeah. and talk about other stuff other aside from UFOs. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's yeah for sure because I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, yeah. Your, your mention of beer got my mind racing here. Well, actually, let's. Here's something. All right. So, what is the what's the website where people can check out the stuff? Absurdbydesign.com, right? And you got a shirt now. You want folks to pick up because it would help you out. And uh, that's that's uh, something new for you. Absurdbydesign. You're gonna start doing more shirts. You gotta do my uh, legalized gray marriage idea, dude. I'm telling you. Yeah, maybe, yeah, eventually. Uh, actually, uh, right now I have two shirts. You know, there's there's the Absurd by Design logo. You know, with the, with the goblin, you know, sticking his tongue, and there's also one for uh, Mothman and John Keel fans. You know, now oh, that's really? uh, the, the the 1967 anniversary. Oh, I saw that picture you did. Yeah. Okay, so that's on a shirt now. Yeah, it's a shirt, and and I think uh, it's uh, I've shown it to a few people, and 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 they liked it, and I think that you know. It's uh, it's an interesting homage to to John Keel. You know, I, I show him as a as a man in man in white, a man in white instead of a man in black, and he has a, 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 a fire ex, uh, you know torch, you know a flamethrower, you know, and and he's like giving a a, a a huge torch to Mothman and says, Mothman, kill it with fire. But Keel is like instead of a K I L L is K E E L, you know. Nice. So yeah, the idea is uh, to try to to make this kind of stuff, you know. I mean, I want to try to portray my culture, your culture, Fortean culture, just as you know, the, the, as as hip and as enjoyable and something to be proud of, the same way that geeks you know, managed to do with their uh, own culture, you know. I mean, the, the 30 years ago or 25 years ago, if you walked outside the door with a superhero uh, a T-shirt, you were going to probably get beaten, you know. And yeah, get yeah bullied, made fun you know? of, made fun of, yeah. Yeah, they will call you nerd. Yeah, exactly. And now it's totally cool. I yeah. want to do the same thing. It's really weird and it's interesting because uh, – I remember, like, sort of learning this from one of Stan's books, uh, Stan Friedman. I think it was like, I forget, uh, I forget the name of the book, but it was like a seminal UFO book that came out after the uh, after the MJ-12 one and the Roswell one. Um, <laughs> but he he sort of like laid out this this sort of like he he detailed about how these different three prominent one uh, sci- sci-fi writers 
like hated UFOs and everything. And it's like mm-hmm. you can, uh, you almost see it in a sense where it's like this weird, like sci-fi is cool now, yeah. But but UFOs still the whole paranormal and the more even UFOs because like Bigfoot's cool and and ghosts are cool, <laughs> but like UFOs are still. They're not. They're not really. They just don't have that cool cachet that that even Bigfoot and Ghost have somehow managed to to achieve. So it's yeah. It's like it's like a weird sci-fi. I think it's like a sci-fi bias in a sense. Yeah, I mean, that's what it seemed to be back a, in the it's day. It's a social a social stigma. Still, you know, the idea that uh, uh, you 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 into that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, the the, the the irony about it is that we all are. You know, I remember. Uh, one of those occasions I went to the Paradigm Symposium in Minneapolis, you know, and you go to, you know, the the customs, you know, uh, through customs, you know, when once you uh, get to the United States and they, they ask you, you know, what's, what, what's the reason of your visit? Yeah, I always yeah. tell the, told the truth. I'm going to... Uh, the paradigm symposium. Or what is that? You know, well, it's, a, it's a symposium, a conference in which we talk about ancient aliens and UFOs and you know uh, ancient civilizations. You know, and the guy, you know, then looked at me for a moment and said, "Oh, are you are you into that kind of stuff?" And I was expecting to you know be uh, mocked at, and, you know, is mirrored that, you know, even worse, you know, for a second, I thought, you know, maybe the guy will, <laughs> will yeah. deny, deny, deny my entrance to the United States. But no, you know, all of a sudden the guy was telling me about his own UFO sighting, you know, next to the border, and he was saying, oh yeah, and we, I was seeing these silvery objects going from there to there, you know, and two minutes later, later I was saying, okay, sir, but can you please stamp my passport because <laughs> I have places to go, people to meet. So the thing is that, you know, in a way, we, it's interesting, you know, we're talking about ghost shows, and, and, and the reason that they're still so popular, and it's probably because, you know, in, uh, there was a recent survey uh, by some university, American university, and they made a survey, and, and, and they learned that uh, there's a, a huge... Uh, percentage of the population, like I don't know, thirty something percent, that believe that, that that places can be haunted by spirits. It's even bigger, the percentage than people who believe that either aliens visit the earth in the ancient past or are still uh, coming to this planet. You know, so that tells you something that you know ghosts. Uh, to Americans are bigger than UFOs, and in a, you, a very very small percentage, Bigfoot, you know, was you know part of that survey, you know. So, yeah. sorry, sorry, Bigfoot fans, but uh, I want to try to see how we can get rid of that stigma because I think it's social, you know. It's, oh, definitely, yeah. It, it's kind of like you know, it's the ultimate uh, social closet. You know the idea that yeah, we, you are into that kind of stuff, and I like I I I, I like to read books about UFOs and ghosts and cryptids and whatnot. It's kind of like in the 1980s when you you know were afraid to admit that you were gay, you know, and and, and look what has happened in the last 25 30 years. You know, I mean the 
that's one of the reasons why probably we'll end up, you know, making you legalize gray marriage, you know, eventually, because in a way it pairs down those two stigmas quite nicely, you know. Yeah, well, I stole it from Jeremy Vaney, but I'm giving it. To, <laughs> I've given it to you. So it's it's been passed down. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it just it's very clever. I was <laughs> I just found it very like it's like almost like a weird sort of like disclose, but in a completely different way. Completely different way. Yeah. Like the government should announce that. Um, yeah, but 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 first they need to make uh, for Robbie and Greg and myself, you know, the fuck disclosure T-shirt that they can wear when they go to. Uh, Next year to to the international UFO conference, Robbie Graham is going to to uh, be one of the speakers. So it will be it will be really really cool if he you know wears that kind of T-shirt you know in front of you know someone like I don't know Stephen Bassett or <laughs> even even, even Uncle Stan. You know I wonder what what he, he will think. You know I think someone. Stan will laugh, but <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, I think so. Stan will laugh. Um, now I get I, I this is good in a sense because I get to hit you with the question that everyone gets me at. So it's like, when are you going to write a book? Have you thought about writing a book? Mm. What's uh, what's 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 the what's the timetable on the book? Well, uh, what, 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 what's what's going on? Uh, uh, you know, have you considered writing a book? Um, you know, it seems like you have a lot of deep thoughts on a lot of other things. So you kind of like me in a sense, where it's like I don't really know exactly what I want to write. You know exactly. What I, mean? I think I'm I'm in that. Uh, Avenue or that category team. I mean, uh, if you had asked me that question uh, five years ago, I would have told you, no way, no, it's not, it's not in my plans, you know, at all. But uh, last year, when Robbie approached me and said, "Hey, I'm going to edit this anthology about UFOs." And, and and you are one of the people that I want to, uh, to be involved in this project. Are you, will you be interested in you know writing an essay for it? Uh, I find myself you know not acting like my usual you know uh, whoosy self and say no no way. You know I said you know what yeah let, let's let's see if let's see if I can come up with something. You know I remember. I asked him, you know, but I really don't know if I have something original to say. And he said, no, no, I think you do. Uh, I, I asked him if we could Skype together. to, make, to, to I, I wanted to pitch some ideas to him and started talking about, you know, these ideas I had about UFOs being like a symbol for anarchy and, 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 and its social implication and said, yeah, that's perfect, you know. So right write an essay, a 7,000-word 7, essay about that. And obviously, well, okay, first you have the idea. Okay, cool. It's, it's, it's the starting point. You know, otherwise you have nothing. And then you try to uh, do a bit of research and to try to, to connect the dots, you know, connect these, because you start having all these ideas that are really not connected and then trying to make a sense of them and try to follow like a path, you know, from from going to point A to, you know, point C of what I want to say after that and and actually make it something that people will bother to, to read, you know, which is easier said than done. It's 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 really, you know, writing is one of the most difficult 
uh, enterprises one could do. You know, I mean, I, I don't consider myself to be a, a writer. You know, even though uh, I, ha- I have written for blogs for 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 several years now, and now this was the first time that I, you know, wrote something that was, you know, published in a book. And a 7,000-word essay, I guess, is the equivalent to a chapter, right? Or maybe it will be a chapter and a half, depending on just how long you want them to be. So once I got a taste of that, I realized, well, yeah, maybe this I could do, you know, if I could, if I could have a really, really good idea and I could get someone like Robbie, you know, to like uh, guide me, you know, be my editor and, and, and help me out once I, you know, if I manage, to, if I get stuck into trying to put my ideas together. But uh, like, like, uh, like you said, you know, I, I need, I feel that I need something really original and really uh, unique to say, you know, I actually felt once I wrote that essay, uh, anarchy in the UFO. Let's say, okay, you know that <laughs> I'm. I run out of things to say about UFOs, you know, for the time being. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, we're we're on the same page, no pun intended, in a sense. Where it's like I have a bunch of different ideas, so I don't know what the hell I'm gonna. I have to eventually and, settle on sort of one avenue. But yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 my friend Micah Hanks, you know, our our friend Micah Hanks. Uh, uh, we've talked about trying to maybe uh, co-author a book, you know, together, which would be probably a, a better avenue for me, you know, that instead of you know just embarking on a on a book all, all by my own. I remember where we were pitching, you know, maybe the idea of trying to write something about the mystery of Fr- Friendship Island, which is something that. Uh, is not really that uh, not known that that well known in in English speaking UFO circles. This idea of there there is this island in next to almost next to Antarctica, you know, in in in, uh, in Chile, you know, yeah. this place called the Chonos Archipelago. Uh, that that's it's kind of like almost like the 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 island in in the series Lost. Which, by the way, I managed to finish quite recently, and I, I, I have to say I, I like the ending, even you know. Uh, but this idea that there is this island where there's some kind of like uh, Dharma initiative, kind of like secret society yeah. that that are in contact with aliens, and that they have all these advanced technology, and they are pretty much waiting for our civilization to collapse so they can pick up the pieces and start over again. So that's an interesting idea, and it will be a cool story for a book because I, I guess nobody, they, they have, there's not a lot of Friendship Island books out there, right? Right? I mean, there's a ton of Roswell books, and there's oh, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. so the world doesn't really need another Roswell book, I guess, but they probably could need could use a, a Friendship Island book. But the yeah, thing is that. Yeah, but the thing is that if I were to do that, team, if if I were to be honest to the project, then uh, Micah and I would need to go there. You know, it's not it's not about just researching stuff uh, on the internet. You know, to 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 do an op-ed, you know, an opinion piece, an editorial about a given subject, like what I did with. Uh, 
you are photographing the debate is one thing, but to, to write about something that happened or is happening in in a part of the world without without actually going there, I feel would be tremendously dishonest. So that's the thing, you know. I think we will you will need to have resources and also the time to go there and, and you know do a bit of research and talk to people and try to dig up stuff. So it would be it's it's a difficult proposition. So that, that yeah. So that's why it's still kind of like a pie in the sky idea. I yeah. I uh, you're sort of hitting a note uh, that, that was in my head recently in a sense because I've been I've been with the show winding down. Uh, I've been kind of thinking about book ideas and things like that, and it's like I think when if when I ever put out a book, I could see it being like different sort of chapters, and my my yeah. only sort of like mission in even you know like I would only write the chat chapters. You would have to get something new out of each chapter. You know what I mean? Like I would have to go to Friendship Island. I would have to do this. I would have to you know, talk to this specific person or something like that, where it's like each each chapter you get something that you're going to hear hear or learn something new that isn't in any other book out there yet. Well, I mean... Or you try, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could uh, uh, suggest to you, you know, trying to do something of a, a, a biopic kind of piece of, 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 of your own personal journey and the way that being all of America uh, changed your perception on things, you know, not just uh, the, the UFOs, but maybe other stuff. So maybe you could choose from, you know, a given number of, of uh, interviews and, and trying to explain to the audience how that affected your point of view. Because it's obvious that you are not the same team, Binol, that embarked, embarked on this journey, you know, uh, ten years ago, you you had a different perspective, you oh, had yeah, a different sure. way of, 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 of uh, preconceptions about you know UFOs and Bigfoot and whatever. And now, you know, whether you like to admit it or not, you are one of the graybeards, you know, the, not because of your age, but because of the time you have been involved into all of these and offering your pers- perspective about that. That will be interesting to me. Interesting. Thanks, man. Thanks. I'll give that thought. I'll definitely give mm-hmm. that thought. Yeah. Well, I've noticed uh, in sort of retrospecting on a lot of this stuff, it's like I have – I remember like back when I first started doing the show, I like people used to like write me like, but what do you think? But what do you think? And now it's like mm-hmm. – it seems like every show now I'm just going off at the mouth about <laughs> what, what <laughs> I think. And it's like, it's like well, they kind of – they must have figured out what I think by now because I don't seem to hold anything back anymore. So I guess that's a good – that's a good uh, trait to have. All yeah, right. Or, also, like like you said, you know, people people want the the easy answers, right? They they ask you, but what do you think, Tim? Because think, oh well, you know, if if Tim gives me the secrets of the universe, then I don't have to do the hard work, you know, of actually, you know, reading the books and talking to the people and going to the conferences and thinking deeply about all of this shit, you know. You no, know, you have to do the legwork, right? Yeah, and, and, exactly. And, and that's something that you could also uh, explain to folks. Look, folks, you know, you have to, you have to reach your own conclusions because it's your journey. I mean, it's it's one, one of the few things that I wanted to 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 
share in that essay for reframing the debates is like ufo ufology in a way has been my personal alchemy and i'm returning to alchemy kind of like closing the circle uh the uroboros maybe is that that it's been a journey of transformation it's if you start on this path and you know, and reach the end of it, being the same person and thinking of the same things and believing the things that you believed in at the beginning, you did it wrong. You know, yeah. you completely missed the point of the whole experience because you, you, it's not about reaching the answers. It's about changing yourself by the hardship of the of traversing the the path and 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 following the journey and as cliche as it sounds the journey is a destination. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that I've I've said that on the show before where it's like this this whole thing. I mean, it's been all of America. It's just my it's my journey of trying to like talk to different people and try and get yeah. my questions answered. You know, yeah. and I, I just appreciate all the people that have been along for the ride all these years. Yeah, and and, and it starts very selfishly at, at the beginning, right? Because you you uh, started the podcast because you wanted to talk to these people. You you yeah, were waiting for much. others to ask the questions you wanted to be asked. Since no one were doing it, they said, "Fuck it, I'll I'll do it myself." You know, it's like Thanos. Fine, I'll do it myself. And and you go and 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 you know and 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 overcome your your shyness and your timidity and reach out to you know the giants like Jim Mars and Stanton Friedman and you realize that these people are very generous you know and they're very open and forthcoming you know to to the newcomers because they were the newcomers a long long time ago you know it's the same thing with each generation and and you start these very selfishly and in a way you realize that you were not only doing it for yourself, you know, because you are also, you know, kind of like passing it, passing it along. You know, you you are paying it forward for, for the next generation. And 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 I I, I wonder about the impact of all the huge archive that you are leaving behind. You know, after ten years of talking to all these people, you know, and leaving that, and and the impact it will have, you know, in t- ten years from now, twenty, thirty. You know, the impact it will have when you are not around anymore, you know? Yeah, well, it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome collection, I'll say that, you know. I'm pretty mm-hmm, proud of for it. For sure. It's 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 been it's it, it, sometimes I hate to say it cuz it like terrifies me in a lot of ways, but you know, we sort of joke around about this like when are you going to write a book and all that stuff, but it's like this is my life's work, folks. This <laughs> this, this, this is this 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 massive uh this massive collection of interviews is my life's work. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know your, your, how it happened, but <laughs> it did happen. <laughs> so, and I and I, I can't thank you enough for being a part of it. So that's the that's a great way to sort of uh, wrap up the show, man. And I I hope I'll see you in New Orleans next year. We're gonna have a blast, I'm sure. And it's been great. Tonight's been great talking to you. It's been great meeting you at, at the two events, uh, the Paramanias, and uh, I consider you a, a true friend. And and you know, someone whose opinion I really value and respect, and as I said, the wisdom, you know, that's why that's why I respect it so much. I, I just find that uh, you put a lot of thought into what you have to say, and, and it comes across in a big way uh, when talking to you. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Sorry about uh, the, the phone issues. Hopefully they weren't too bad. <laughs> no, don't worry about it, Jim. It's, it's been great. 
you know, this conversation. Uh, like, I, I love it when we don't know what we're going to, to talk about, and then, you know, we realize, holy shit, this was deep, you know, and, and yeah. that can only happen with people that you trust and that you you value and that you cherish cherish uh, your opinions, you know, and, 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 and realize, you know, it's because we are, we, like you said, we are friends, you know, and I, 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 I've, I've uh, somewhat, sometimes I have wondered if we are, you know, we have met, each other in previous reincarnations that when that we are that one of the jobs in in this life for all of us the, the guys that we met in paramania and i met in the parallel symposium and all of us in one of our jobs was to re-encounter you know yeah, each other once again you know to reunite the family and i really really feel that is the case you know i mean with this i really with this, fuck disclosure, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. we, we have these. You know, we don't need we don't need disclosure. Exactly. Yeah, that's for all the rest of them, man. So, yeah. all right, brother. Well, hopefully, I see you in New Orleans, and we'll be in touch mm-hmm. uh, up until then. I'm sure. So, thank you so much. And uh, absurd by design is the website. Go check it out, folks, and uh, and pick up some t-shirts. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Bye bye. Good night. Bye. There you go, folks. That was uh, Red Pill Junkie. Uh, I love that conversation. I'm like, I'm like fried. My brain is like fried from the depth. <laughs> I'm like, I need to, I need to. Uh, it's not like when they bring like a submarine guy up to the surface. I'm gonna <laughs> to go slowly, slowly back up to the uh, to the surface. Um, I really, really love that conversation. Um, next week's program, we got about ten minutes left, but. Uh, We'll wrap it up here. Next week's show is, uh, for, I think this is like the first time we've ever done this. We're actually doing a show on Halloween. So uh, it's a Halloween night show, and it's like, uh, it's kismet, I guess you could say. That was the word I was looking for. It's like kismet, because um, I was trying to get, uh, Lind- I, so I met Linda Godfrey at the uh, at the awesome cryptozoology conference in Portland, and um, we talked about getting her back on the show. And I kind of was like, it'd be cool to get her on in October because you know that's kind of Halloween time, you know. And and a uh, combination of her being busy and me being lazy, it's like I never really got around to start setting this up. And like we couldn't really pin down a day. And then just sort of out of the blue, I was like, I don't suppose it's kind of like crazy, but I don't suppose you're actually free like Halloween night. And she's like, Yeah, actually, I'm free on Halloween night. So we're doing a Halloween night show. With Linda Godfrey, who uh, put these put these werewolves, these bipedal canine cryptids on the map, and she's a fantastic researcher. The topic sounds so crazy. Um, when you meet her and talk to her, she is so down to earth and so with it, and has such a tremendous perspective on this weird phenomenon, this incredibly weird phenomenon. But she has such a such a grounded perspective on it that it's like uh, it really adds a, an air of gravitas to the whole thing. And I'm excited to bring that to folks next week on the show. And uh, we're going to talk about her new book that came out last year. But, you know, this was a show. We barely ever get shows out as it is. We used to, at least. Uh, The new book uh, came out last year, Monsters Among Us, an exploration of otherworldly Bigfoots, Wolfmen, Portals, Phantoms, and Odd Phenomena, which is perfect for Halloween night. Um, So that's going to be next week, 9 p.m., same but all time, same but all channel. Stay tuned to the website for the linkage. Uh, Linda Godfrey, Monsters Among Us, on the next edition of the program. Thanks again to Red Pill Junkie for coming on the show, and thanks to all the folks in the chat room. 
And uh, thanks to all the folks who stuck around and listened to the uh, the massive uh, complete MP3 here. You guys are the best. Talk to you next week. Good night.